Business and Buckets fam, we are live. Episode 49 coming at you. And what a stack show we have this week. I mean, what a stack show we have. Before we talk sports, before we talk football, all things business and buckets, we're going to talk Field Supplements, the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets. Shout out Josh Morton fam and the Field Fitness or Field Supplement family. You guys, if it's not broken, why fix it? That's the inspiration behind Field Supplements' newest product, Creatine Monohydrate. So why take creatine? Well, creatine monohydrate is one of the most well-researched and effective natural substances available for increasing muscle performance. Creatine enhances performance by supplying a pool of ATP, which acts as the muscle's tissue's primary energy source for fuel during explosive bursts of energy, power, and strength. You get 100 servings. It's non-GMO, gluten-free, safe, and effective. You guys know the deal? Use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off all products at FueledSupplements.com. Promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. So what a big week in the NFL. I mean, at this point, we're pretty much uh, a quarter through the season. You know, it's weird that we have 17 games this season. I don't know how many times I've repeatedly talked about this being a long season and that it's it's not going to be... It's basically a war of attrition, which most NFL seasons are, but even more so this year. So let's talk some headlines before we talk last week's games. Well, first off, LaShawn McCoy going to retire. He's a six-time Pro Bowler in 12 years. Uh, I mean, Shady McCoy, uh, whether it's the snow games where he had fun running in the snow, uh, whether it was his heyday with the Eagles, uh, this guy... You know, he, he was a, an elite running back that I think uh, has a great story and uh, personally was one of my favorite running backs for quite a while. We pull up his uh, pro football reference stats here. Um, let's see. He was with Philly. PFF giving me some ads. Come on now. Um, he was with Philly for one... Two, three, four, five, six years. Buffalo for one, two, three, four years. Kansas City and Tampa Bay. Obviously, he got a Super Bowl ring. He got to end it, even though his stats for the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 10 rushes, 31 yards. So it's not like he was very well involved there. But um, he had one, two, three, four, let's see, one, two, three Pro Bowl seasons. With the Eagles, three with Buffalo, so it was pretty well-versed there. I really enjoyed him in Buffalo in the snow. Uh, obviously, his big cuts, his nasty juke moves, his video game-like style was more so in Philly. Uh, but his best year, he had 1,607 yards in 2013 with Philly in 25 games. No, that's his number, 25. In 16 games, come on, NFL season. And he had 21, 2,146 yards from scrimmage. So an amazing year. Got to give some props to Mr. Shady McCoy on an amazing career as an NFL running back. Outside of that, um, across the league, lots of injuries, but some exciting news, especially for the Super Bowl. I'm, oh, you know, growing up in Wyoming, the Super Bowl is the hugest party that we had year round. And my, as a kid, the Super Bowl halftime was a blast. Um, I don't think that there's been a Super Bowl lineup for what the potential is this year in Inglewood, in Los Angeles, in the SoFi Stadium. Dr. Dre brought the whole crew. The halftime show is going to be Dr. Dre, Kendrick Lamar, Mary J. Blige, Eminem, and Snoop Dogg. 
are you freaking kidding me? What an awesome halftime show. Um, I'm super excited about it. Um, as, as a hip-hop rap fan, I mean, this is a Super Bowl halftime you know, dream come true, really, at the end of the day. So going to be an awesome Super Bowl this season. Uh, some injuries. DJ Chark fractures ankle for the Jaguars. It's another receiver that they'll have out for the year, most likely. Brutal for a team that is already struggling. And, and we'll talk more about the Jaguars here in a few minutes. Zadarius Smith has back surgery for the Packers. And Jair Alexander expected to miss a good amount of time after being injured in the Steelers game. Both guys, pivotal pieces for that defense. I think you take either or out that, you know, the pass rush is the same. The secondary is not the same. So both of those guys being out, it's going to be interesting to see how they manage the rest of their schedule, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, hopefully, Zadarius Smith can make a comeback and Jair can as well. Uh, but watch that as you guys do your weekly picks, your, your, your bets, over-unders. That Packers defense is definitely hurting for sure. Quentin Nelson to the IR for the Colts. You know, we had talked about him and Wentz having the same injury preseason, uh, but this is just, you know, added up too much for a few games. He's going to be on the IR, expected to be back this year. But uh, one of the most, probably the top five linemen in the NFL and a huge piece for that Colts offense, keeping uh, Wentz up on off of his back. So uh, uh, something else to consider for your, your picks the next few weeks. But remember the IR isn't like normal seasons. It's a three-week minimum. So that's the situation at hand. Tom Brady, the passing yards leader of all time. It was funny because the game was obviously primetime NBC. Insert Mr. Drew Brees, who I love on the NBC crew so far. And he's there watching Tom Brady beat his record. Um, this was obviously bound to happen. Uh, you know, I've talked enough about Tom Brady and, and clouded him enough, but uh, he's well-deserving. He is the GOAT, and he's still playing at a high clip. Romeo Okwara tears Achilles for the Lions. Brutal loss for them, one of their better defenders, as he'll be out for the season. Brandon Sheriff for the Washington football team has an M MCL sprain, expected to miss two to three weeks. Brandon Sheriff, just like Quentin Nelson, a man amongst men on the, the offensive line, so brutal loss for them. Um, the DEA also raiding Washington's facility and their head trainers on leave. Um, obviously, they said it wasn't tied to the team, but still a crazy scene worth no, uh, worth of note. And obviously more of a distraction for them as the Giants looked pretty good this week. You know, the Cowboys look pretty up top. With that division, you never know. All you need is more off-the-field issues and things to be worried about. Uh, Kenneth Murray, we talked about him potentially missing some time. He is on the IR for the Chargers. Um, another solid piece in the, in the, that defense, uh, you know, ex Oklahoma sooner. So got to give them love. Uh, they're going to be missing Kenneth Murray on the defensive side of the ball. Another defensive player, Shaq Thompson for my, you know, the only person that I've seen that have given the, the Panthers credits heading in this into this year, going to miss a huge piece ex Husky Shaq Thompson missing time with a foot injury, but CMC is expect expected this week. If you're fantasy guys, I'm sure you've seen all the alerts. Chuba Hubbard, if you have him, CMC expected to come back. Huge piece for that uh, Panthers offense, but huge loss for their defense. Hopefully, it's not too much time. And Jimmy G, huge injury last week. Expected to miss quite a bit of time. Reports that have come up today, you know, it's Tuesday. It's 8 p.m. right now, uh, so still pretty early in the week. But it's saying Jimmy G could even potentially play this week, and the injuries aren't as serious. Um, you know, Trey Lance did get some momentum the second or the, towards the tail end of that game. 
So it's kind of like, what do you want to do? I assume they insert Jimmy. I thought coming in preseason when I had picked the 49ers to the Super Bowl that Shanahan was going to do a tandem between the two. So maybe they split some time. Who knows? Uh, but he is expected back sooner than uh, what they originally thought. Uh, Justin Herbert is the first, first quarterback in the Super Bowl era to compete five complete 500 passes before his 20th start. I mean, this guy has lit the league on fire since he came in as a rookie. Uh, he got to show it in prime time on Monday Night Football in SoFi, which is an awesome site. That stadium looks insane, like six levels deep in that sucker. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this guy's been on a tear. It's been fun to watch. You know, he looks like he barely just got through puberty, and he's going to be the uh, face of the league and one of those long-term franchise quarterbacks uh, that's going to be around for quite a while. Uh, Will Fuller comes back after breaking his finger or comes back and then ends up breaking his finger. So potentially going to miss some time with that. It's a tough, tough, you know, with the PED suspension, getting moved over to the Dolphins, having to deal with the suspension, having some personal issues. Now he comes back, breaks his finger. But it would be fun to see Tua actually have an opportunity with Jalen Waddle, Will Fuller, and that whole receiving core, Gasecki, all those pieces. But Will Fuller are going to be out for some time. Uh, John Bostic out for the year with a torn pec for the Washington football team. Um, John Bostic played for the Steelers for a little bit of a time, but that's just a big run stuff for big gap filler for the Washington football team. More injuries to amass for them. Uh, Henry Anderson missing the season with a torn pec. That's the Patriots defensive end. Um, their defense probably looked better than it has all season against the Buccaneers. So uh, losing a piece or for the season with the torn pec is not ideal. This one I'm not too too sure I understand, but the Bears trade for Jakeem Grant, a receiver, special teams guy. Uh, maybe they wanted to use him specifically for special teams. I'm not sure, but uh, the Bears are making a trade for him. I believe they gave up a six-rounder. David Montgomery out four to five weeks for the Bears. Brutal, brutal loss. This guy I feel like was about to be on the edge of a breakout season. He was a huge piece for them. Whether Andy Dalton does come and start, which is expected, they let Justin Fields roll it out. Uh, not having David Montgomery there for that amount of time is going to be crucial as I feel like with their record, this is a crucial next few uh, uh, weeks of games for them. And they're going to be without him. They do have Damian Williams who played for Kansas City for a while. Another boomer sooner represent. Uh, so hopefully he can really get some opportunity to shine as a feature back instead of having to be a backup. Speaking of Jaguars, how about Urban Meyer, man? I saw the headlines, originally thought this was a little bit of an overreaction just because he's a head coach and getting paid all this money. People, um, I just feel like, you know, drama. They want to add more to what's happening. But um, he's really burning in flames right now. When I saw the report that he didn't travel back with the team, that's when I knew that was unacceptable. You are an analyst. You could do whatever you want outside of being an analyst. Now you're an NFL head football coach for a very young team. You know what you signed up for. For me, once it's, you know, the start of the season, training camp to the end of the season, you need to be fully committed. You need to be with your team. So this just does not make sense. I feel like he's kind of oblivious to the situation. And at this point, I'll be surprised if he lasts the year. More on the Patriots side, Isaiah Wynn on the COVID list and the Patriots eye the return of Jamie Collins. You know, COVID list, ideally, if they're vaccinated, which I assume they have to be, um, he could make a quick turnaround because Isaiah wins a huge piece on that offense to keep Mac Jones and offense pumping on all cylinders. And then this is what the Patriots do. They just get their old players back on great contracts, right? Um, Jamie Collins did uh, the, 
Lions didn't want to pay him, so he's going to come to the Patriots for his low money. They're going to utilize him. He's familiar with their setup. He's familiar with the defense. It's just such a Patriots thing to do, so no surprise here. And then the Cardinals, we had talked about them adding Quentin Dunbar. I thought he might be able to fill in on some quarterback duties, uh, but he actually got cut from the practice squad this week, so he will not even be able to fill the defense for the Arizona Cardinals. And then the Cowboys also releasing Jalen Smith after getting that big contract. What a shit show of a contract that was. Looks like they're going to end up about $20 million in the hole with this. And they're cutting him midseason just because the performance has been that bad. Um, from the year that he made the Pro Bowl, you would never expect this to happen. Uh, it's, it's kind of wild. I couldn't imagine if this was like a Devin Bush for the Steelers for my team. Uh, but brutal blow for the Cowboys. But it looks like their team is going to be all right. And then uh, on Johnson waved by the 49ers. You know, with all the backfield injuries that they had, this just must show on Johnson's just not meant for the NFL. If he can't make it here, I believe his days in the NFL are, are definitely done. Uh, but I liked him coming out of Auburn. He reminded me of Le'Veon Bell, how he's a patient runner and what he did. Uh, it sucks that it didn't translate. Um, and now he finds himself, you know, looking for another opportunity. Some kicker moves. The Niners are signing Joey Sly uh, with Robbie Gold on the IR. Something to be of note with that offense. It seems like they might be struggling in the red zone with the running game. Now they have a backup kicker. And then the Saints sign Cody Parkey as they release Aldrich Rosas um, as Cody Parkey's been around the league on a few different teams. And then before we talk about last week's games, how about Danny fucking Dimes? This is a make it or break it season for him. And I believe the Giants will probably really look into the season to see if this is a long-term fit or not. And he really performed this week. And I just think he doesn't get enough love. I mean, he runs the ball. Well, he's making do with a pretty makeshift line, a pretty makeshift offense. And he's, he's doing moves. He, he willed that team to win last week by himself, in my opinion. And I'm excited to see what he can do. And Hey, watch out for the giants. that could potentially make moves to, to fight for this division. So let's talk about last week's games. Again, we talked coming in another Thursday night game of Jaguars Bengals. You're like, ooh, this looks so not fun on paper. But the game itself turned out to be quite a fun game. Watching um, the number one pick this year and the number one pick from uh, two years ago. Trevor Lawrence did perform well in this game. He went 17 for 24, 204 yards for a 96 rating. Joe Burrow getting the victory, obviously leveling up on him. Going 25 for 32, 348 yards, two tutties, and 132.8 rating. Um, James Robinson getting on a roll, though. I have him in fantasy. I was a little worried. It seems like Urban Myers finally figured out they got to play, you know, tough, ugly football, run the football, keep the other offenses off the field, and play stout defense. Uh, he did get 18 carries for 78 yards. He got two tutties. And LaVisca Chenault, the guy that everyone's been talking about, finally makes an appearance. Six catches, 99 yards to lead the, the receiving core. And the offense for the Bengals, lots of different mouths to feed here. Joe Mixon ended up getting hurt with an ankle sprain. We'll see what happens with his full diagnosis. But he goes 16 carries, 67 yards, and a touch. And Tyler Boyd leads the Bengals for 118 yards on nine catches. And CJ Uzoma, the tight end, has another good week, two weeks in a row. Five receptions, 95 yards, and two touchdowns. Statistically, um, the Bengals did out yard them by about 80 yards. They went five of nine on third down while the Jaguars went six of 12. So pretty good managed game from both teams. Uh, the turnovers were clean. Neither team had a turnover, which honestly, if you would have told me to bet that there'd be a turnover in this game, this would be the game I would. 
And then the Bengals out possession them by three minutes. But really the story for me is they had the lead. The Jaguars did. They found a way to lose the game. And it's just, it's kind of a mess at this point going 0 for 4. Not saying that they can't win a game this year, but they've had two, you know, winnable uh, games and they've definitely coughed them up. So going into Sunday, um, I was at the final Mariners Angels game. We'll talk about that towards the end of the show when we talk MLB. My Angels ended the Mariners season. Apologize, Mariners fans. Sorry, not sorry. Um, but I wasn't able to watch a lot of the football on Sunday. I was streaming the Steelers game here and there, looking at scores and some fantasy here and there. Uh, but until the Sunday night game, I wasn't sitting at home, you know, switching through games like I normally do. But my Pittsburgh Steelers taking a tough loss. They're one and three through the quarter mark. You know, I did not expect them to have that bad of a record. I was expecting them two and two to start the season. So not too far off. Everyone wants to completely write them off. The season's over. Ben's washed. The line's not going to figure it out. I, I totally disagree. I don't think that we're at like DeathCon 5. Out of a scare scale, I say we should be at a 6, which is still pretty high. But I feel like the offensive unit did play a little bit better. Um, you know, the, the kickoff offsides, the kickoff or the field goal block, that definitely plays a factor into the game. Um, but they have a long ways to go, but it's a long season. So if they can stay healthy, which the defense returned a lot of players, I think they're going to be better out than a lot of people expect. Ben Roethlisberger went 26 for 40, 232, a touchdown and a pick. Um, and Najee Harris had 15 carries for 62 yards, which is a 4.1 average, a little bit better than normal. But I'm not a big fan of the Packers D. I don't think it's anything to be scared of. He did get a touchdown. Aaron Rodgers doing Aaron Rodgers-like things. 20 for 36, 248 yards, two touchdowns, and 95 rating. You know, he had a fun moment with Tomlin on the sideline. And people want to assume that maybe Rodgers wants to go to Pittsburgh. I think he, he has a lot of options towards the, you know, once the season's over. I think Pittsburgh's definitely a team that he'll consider. I'm not too sure if, you know, what Pittsburgh's thoughts are there if they want to make that move. Um, you know, there's been rumors of this even before the, before the season started, I've seen. And, you know, that's kind of a pipe dream thinking of it as a Steelers fan. But as we're at this moment with Ben and the way it is, our team the way it is, hey, you put Rodgers in there, you never know. So I, I wouldn't count it out. I'd say probably a 50-50 shot, honestly. Um, the running game for the Packers, getting 131 yards, a clean split on carries, A.J. Dillon with 15, Aaron Jones with 15. A.J. had 81 yards while Aaron Jones racked up 48. And then the receiving core was led by old Randall Cobb, who had five catches, 69 yards, and two touchdowns. He was, he was clutch whenever they needed somebody, third down conversions, maybe even a fourth down. Uh, in the red zone, he made big plays. And then Deontay Johnson coming back from injury, leading the Steelers, nine receptions, 92 yards, and a touchdown. They were without uh, Chase Claypool this game. Pat Fearmuth, one target, one reception, 11 yards. We need to get this guy more involved. I saw a play where he was wide open. Ben didn't find him. Uh, you know, Ben, because the line is so rough, is getting rid of the ball. As you're older, you don't want to get hit. You know, he knows that he's getting a lot of pressure and he's making quick adjustments. But you got to be able to hold out if you can. Uh, I mean, that was definitely a, a misplay that was a little bit brutal. On the defensive side of the ball, Devondre Campbell, Campbell had nine tackles. Um, TJ Watt coming back, two sacks, right? He, he, he's really putting up crazy numbers when he is healthy. He's only missed the one game. Uh, but I believe he has five sacks this far in the season. And Mika Fitzpatrick with eight tackles in the secondary for the Steelers. The Steelers went 4 for 11 on third down while the Packers had an impressive 9 for 15. The Packers obviously out-yarded them and the Steelers won the turnover battle 
Big reason why they lost the game and were out possession by nine minutes. Pretty impressed with the Packers. Little bit of an improvement from the Steelers. Still a long ways to go. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how these two teams do. Um, you know, everyone wants to think the Packers are an elite team. I'm not quite sold on them at that point. But um, let's move on to Washington versus the Falcons. I kind of wish I was able to watch this game. I saw the Falcons up early by quite a bit, I believe. Let's see. 17, 23 to 22. So I guess they weren't up massive, but um, I had picked the Washington football team, so obviously wanted to win. I had this in a, a parlay of mine. I didn't end up winning anyways because the Jets beat the Titans. But how about Taylor Heineke, man? I told you guys he's a baller. I really enjoy him as a quarterback. I feel like he willed this team to victory. 23 for 33, 290, and three, uh, three touchdowns for 127 rating. Antonio Gibson doing decent, 14 carries, 63 yards, four and a half per carry average for a touchdown. He's just not blowing anything out of the water. And then as the receiving core takes off, Terry McLaurin, six for 123 and two touchdowns. On the Falcons side, Matt Ryan, 25 for 42, 283 with four tutties and an 111 rating. Um, Corderell Patterson, just the Swiss Army knife. I ended up trading him in fantasy, tried to trade his value high. Uh, six carries, 34 yards. Nothing too oppressive. He did average 5.7 per carry, but he had five receptions, 82 yards, and three touchdowns, three of the four uh, leading the receivers. You know, he's been leading Calvin Ridley in reception yards, and I feel like um, their coach coming from Tennessee is finding ways to utilize him, and that's the special type of offense he's using. They did put up 30 points. They did, didn't, didn't get the W, uh, but he's adding wrinkles into the team. Uh, it's hard to just make all those adjustments after year one. People expect week one, week two, week three, that those people can make all that difference, but the personnel doesn't change, right? Um, Washington football team, four and nine from th on third down. Falcons, 10 to 16. The football team out yarded them about 40 yards. Uh, neither team had a turnover, and the Falcons had a minute of possession, uh, time of possession and control. But what a good game. Uh, two teams struggling through the season. Washington, two and two. Falcons, one and three. So then we have Bills, Texans. About what we expected, right? Dave, Davis Mills coming in tough. He only had 87 yards and four picks. The Buffalo Bills roll 40-0. to zero. Josh Allen getting back on track. Still throwing some picks, though. Not as efficient as last year. He's 20 for 29, 248, two touchdowns and a pick. Um, really no offense existed there within Houston. Mark Ingram did lead the backfield with six carries compared to David Johnson's five. Brandon Cooks did still haul in five catches for 47 yards. Meanwhile, Devin Singletary and Zach Moss split the backfield even, both with 14 carries. Singletary had 79 yards, Moss 61, but Moss again gets the touchdown. Um, Stephon Diggs, first game over 100, I believe, this year. Seven for 114, so that's got to feel good for him, getting on the same page with Mr. Allen. And Dawson Knox, the tight end, getting two touchdowns. Emmanuel Sanders still putting up in this offense. I figured he'd be a good piece. I didn't know how consistent that action would be with him and Josh Allen, but it seems to be working. Um, the Texans, one of nine on third. The Bills, five of 12, got to do better, especially against that Texans defense. Um, the Texans did turn the ball over five times. The Bills still had a turnover. They outpossessed the, the Texans by 17 minutes. Obviously, the score makes it look good, but I still feel like they had some mishaps and uh, doesn't look like that high level. A lot of, I see power rankings where they rank like, it's week five. Okay, who's the best team thus far? And the Bills are one. I'm a little skepti skeptical to say that. So heading to some NFC North ball, we have Lions and Bears. The Bears win 24-14. to 
Justin Fields' first start. I really wish I could have saw him play. Did look up some highlights, obviously. He's 11 for 17, 209 and a pick for an 82 rating. I feel like the script for him in the first game just set him up for failure, so at least they were able to get the ball moving. A lot of that was because David Montgomery, before injury, had 23 carries, 106 yards, and two touchdowns. Jamal Williams for the Lions. The coach had said he'd be more involved. He did get 14 carries for 66 yards, but the receiving core was led by Quintez Cephas. Seems like Jared Goff's favorite guy. Uh, he had 83 yards, while Darnell Mooney, uh, the, the fantasy hype guy, potential waiver wire ad, five catches, 125 yards. And on the defensive side of the ball, Alec Ogletree, 12 tackles. Raquan Smith, 10 tackles and a, t uh, and a sack. Um, statistically, the Lions, 4 of 11 from third, 1 of 8 from the Bears. You have to clean that up. They did out-yard um, the Lions by about 23 yards. And then the Lions lost the turnover battle 2-1 to one and still out-possessed the Bears. Some typical NFC North ball right there. And then the battle... Well, I guess they weren't undefeated, but the battle of, uh, of two high-level teams so far in the early quarter. Um, the Panthers lose to the, the Cowboys 36-28. I did pick the Cowboys, but this just verified to me without CMC that the Panthers are somewhat of the real deal and definitely look like a playoff team. In my opinion, probably the best in their division outside of the Bucks. Obviously, it's, it's hard to say that they're better than the Bucs. Uh, but Dak Prescott, 14-22, uh, 188 yards and four tutties for 130.3 rating. Sam Darnold, 26-39, 300 yards, two touchdowns. He did have two picks. He also runs for two touchdowns. Chuba Hubbard without a CMC gets 13 carries, 57 yards for a 4.4 average. Nothing that blows, yet, blows anything off the paper. And DJ Moore, over 100 yards, gets eight catches, 113 for two tutties. But the running game for the boys, looking good. They have the two-headed beast, and this is what I expect them to lean on. And this is why they're scary if you get them in the playoffs. Zeke with 20 carries for 143 yards, which is a 7.3 average. He gets a touchdown, well-deserved. Long run of 47. And Tony Pollard, 10 for 67 for a 6.7. They average 7.2 as a unit. And Amari Cooper leads the receiving core for 69 yards and a touchdown. Statistically, the Cowboys 3-9 and nine on third down. Not very efficient. Neither were the uh, Panthers 4-13. The Panthers lost the turnover battle with two turnovers. Uh, both being picks from Darnold that ended up really uh, losing them the game. So moving on, we had Colts and Dolphins. The Colts beat the Dolphins 27-17. A lot of people picking the Dolphins. I just don't think with Jacoby Brissett, that team is really set up for success. Carson Wentz playing decent ball after all the injuries and all the here's, you know all the naysayers. He goes 24 for 32, 228, and two touchdowns for 115 rating. Jonathan Taylor shreds. Uh, they really finally lean on the running game. He gets 16 carries for 103 yards, which is a 6.4 average and a touch. Marlon Mack gets 10 carries for 22 yards. A pedestrian 2.2. I'm sure they're wanting to trade him. And then Michael Pittman leaves the receiving core. Six catches, 59 yards. Meanwhile, Brissett went 20 for 30, 199 yards and two touchdowns and 107.5 rating. And the backfield for the Dolphins just looking straight dog shit. Malcolm Brown becoming the leading back. Miles Gaskin, two carries, three yards. Malcolm Brown had eight for 23. Devontae Parker with some real big catches down the stretch. So a very impressive game for him. You know, the yardage doesn't really speak for it, but four catches, 77 yards, and a touchdown. I saw someone on Twitter post all of his, like, really tough in-traffic catches. I was impressed by him. 
Again, imagine, you know, the running game being better, obviously, but Devontae Parker, J- Javon, uh, Jalen Waddle, Will Fuller, all those guys together with Tua, at least you could see what their potential is because this isn't as, as it is today. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, Kamoko Ture for the Colts with two sacks. Statistically, the Dolphins were 3 of 11 on third, the Colts 6 of 15. The Colts outyarded the Dolphins by 150, and they outpossessed the Dolphins by 15 minutes and won the turnover battle 2 to 1. Moving on, we had Browns and Vikings. This was a huge game. I wish I was able to see something that actually got me super pumped. I felt like the Vikings needed to win this game at home to have a, you know, fix up their their rough couple couple losses to start the season. And I thought they were going to get the job done with Dalvin Cook coming back. They fall short. The game was only 14 to 7, won by the Browns. Baker Mayfield not a very great day in the office. He finished with a 59 rating, 13 15 for 33 with uh, 155 yards. But Chubb doing Chubb-type things, 21 carries, 100 yards for a 4.8 average. And Kareem Hunt also getting 14 carries for 69 yards and a tutty. On the receiving core, Rashard Higgins, of all people, leading the receiving core, 4 for 63. On the Vikings side of the ball, Kirk Cousins, 66 rating, so not amazing. 20 for 38, 203 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. But Dalvin Cook, only 9 carries for 34 yards. Madison, 10 for 20. And Justin Jefferson leads the receiving core six for 84 and a touchdown on seven targets. Uh, Eric Kendricks doing, you know, roaming the backfield as that linebacker, 10 tackles. Xavier Woods getting 10 tackles as well. On the Browns side, I guess I thought Garrett had a bigger game. That was just from last week. He got a half a sack, so nothing too crazy. Uh, statistically, this is ugly for both teams. The Browns 7 of 18 on third down conversions. The Vikings 5 of 16. Total yards for both teams, uh, 327 for the Browns, 255 for the Vikings. The Vikings have a turnover that really cost them the game, and they were outpossessed by nine minutes. The Browns, the Browns move on to three and one. Now we have the Danny Dimes show as the Giants beat the Saints in overtime. They f- they have the comeback. Danny Dimes goes for 28 for 40, 402 yards, two touchdowns and a pick for 108 yard rating. Saquon Barkley looking like he's just getting closer and closer to being himself. 13 carries, 52 yards, and a touch for four average. And then Kenny Galladay, the the, the nice shiny weapon for that receiving core, six for 116 yards. And Kadarius Toney chipping in as well, six for 78. And John Ross, the speedster that was all hyped up a few years ago, three for 77 and a touchdown. So their offensive weapons are starting to move. Saquon Barkley, 74 yards and a touchdown in the backfield as a receiver. Against a pretty stout defense. Meanwhile, the Saints, uh, Jameis Winston, 17 of 23, 226 and a touchdown for 119 rating. Kamara getting all the carries, 26 of them to be exact, 120 yards, which is a 4.6 average. I just don't see him (laughs) making it through the year if they're going to keep feeding him like that. They need more help. Marquez Callaway leading the receiving core, two catches, 74 yards. One of them went for 58. Uh, So most of those yards on the big game there. Malcolm Jacobs had 12 tackles. Pete Werner, uh, 10. When you see a guy like Malcolm Jenkins getting 12 tackles, you know, you see the, these guys in the secondary getting that many tackles, you would assume that the other team's moving the ball. They're having to tackle uh, receivers in the, you know, open field or they're getting beat themselves. So that's not always a good thing. Uh, statistically, 
The Giants were 4 of 11 on third. The, the Saints 8 for 13. The Giants out-yarded the Saints by 80 yards. Both teams had a turnover. The Saints outpossessed them by 10 minutes, but it wasn't enough. The Giants get the job done. First win on the season. The Danny Dimes win. And then the game that was a massive shocker, I mean, with no A.J. Brown, no Julio Jones, but they still got Derrick Henry. They still have some pieces. But Zach Wilson getting his first win for the Jets in overtime, 27-24. to Ryan Tannehill goes 30 for 49 and a touchdown. Uh, Derrick Henry gets a whopping 33 carries for 157 yards, which is a 4.8 average. That's all you could ask. He does have a touchdown. And Jeremy McNichols, uh, the backup running back, leads the team in receiving 8 for 74, so lots of checkdowns. Zach Wilson's best game of the season, 21 to 34, 297, two touchdowns, a pick for a 97 rating. And Michael Carter starting to get some carries in the backfield. 13 carries, 38 yards. Only a 2.9 average and a touchdown. And Corey Davis leading the way. This guy is a guy that I loved in fantasy. I knew he'd have a great connection with the Jets. Four catches, 111 yards, and a touchdown. He did have one catch for 53 yards. Go for 53. Keelan Cole has three for 92. And Jamison Crowder back off the injury list. Seven catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown. The Jets' offense is finally moving the ball. On the defensive side, C.J. Mosley was everywhere. He had 13 tackles and a sack. And Quincy Williams chips in 12 and a sack himself. And Javelin Goudry also gets 10 tackles. So pretty great game for the Jets. Statistically, the Jets are 6 of 14 on third. The Tennessee Titans a horrible 5 of 19. The Jets did get out yarded, but they won the and lost the turnover battle by one. And we're out possessed by 11 minutes, but they still found a way to get to overtime and get the win. And they were in the lead for most of the game, right? They were up 10 to 9, um, 24 to 24, and then getting the three in OT. What a crazy game. And then we had a shootout, which the Chiefs are known to do this year. That defense has not quite improved the way I had expected it. But they do find a way to beat the Eagles 42-30 to to go 2-2. Two and two. The Eagles go 1-3. and three. Don't mind me just crushing Pellegrinos, you know. Um, Pat Mahomes, 24-30, 278 with five tutties and a pick for 131 rating. You know, the turnovers might happen, but they can score so quick and move the ball so fast. Clyde's Edwards-Hilaire has 14 carries for 102 yards. You know, after all the early season issues, the fumbling, he still gets 14 carries, still eclipses 100 yards. Daryl Williams gets 10 for 42 and vultures a touchdown on the ground. And Tyreek finally back in the motion. He has 11 catches for a whopping 186 and not one, not two, but three touchdowns on the day. And he had a long ball for 44. So they weren't all just major chunk chunks on the day. Um, Mike Hughes for the Chiefs defense got 10 tackles. Mike Dana with two sacks. Meanwhile, Jalen Hurts, 32-48, 387 with two touchdowns and 105 rating. He also ran the ball to lead the team, eight carries for 47 yards. And then RB1, Miles Sanders, tough start to the year, seven uh, carries for 13 yards for a 1.9 average. Kenneth Gainwell getting in the action, three carries, 31 yards and a touchdown. And then as the receiving side, Devontae Smith, seven catches, 122 yards. Zach Ertz, 6 for 60. Kenneth Gainwell, 6 of 58. 
Eric Wilson, the the stud coming from the Vikings, gets 10 tackles on the day. I believe he came from the Vikings, right? Let's see. Yeah, came from the Vikings. I thought so. Little shout out, little FCS shout out, you know, Bozeman, Pussycat shout out, Alex Singleton with nine tackles as well. And Eric Wilson had an interception. Statistically, the Eagles 6 of 12 from third. Chiefs 9 of 10. That's what you're talking about. Um, Both teams go for over 450 yards, pretty close on the day. The Chiefs do turn the ball over, but find a way to win and only outpossess the Eagles by a minute. A third down conversion making the difference there. And then the Cardinals. The 4-0 Cardinals. I thought they were going to be about a year or two ter- too early from contention. I might might be proven wrong. I thought the Rams' defense would be all over Kyler, but no one has been all over Kyler. I love me some Kyler, man. He's one of the most fun guys to watch as an Oklahoma Sooner. I liked him more than Mayfield. Clearly liked him more than Jalen Hurts. I just He's so small. They're, you know, I had my worries. I knew he'd be great. I didn't know he'd be this good this fast with a team that does have quite a bit of holes. He goes 24 for 32, 268, two touchdowns for 120 rating. And Chase Edmonds leads the backfield with 12 carries for 120 yards, even though James Conner had 18 carries to his 12, but a pedestrian 50 yards for a 2.8 average and two touchdowns. So he goes the red zone guy. And A.J. Green still living, five catches, 67 yards, and a touchdown to lead the, the receiving core. Um, Hopkins has 67 as well, but on four catches. And then Matt Stafford. 26 of 41, 280, two touchdowns and a pick. And Darrell Henderson back in action, 14 carries, 89 yards for a 6.4 average. And Van Jefferson leading the receiving core, not Cooper Cup today, six, or this week, six catches, 90 yards and a touchdown. Jalen Thompson for the Cardinals with 10 tackles. Taylor Rapp, the ex-Husky, fucking stud again. Guy in the backfield, 12 tackles though, probably means that they're getting thrown on. Um, Sebastian Joseph Day with a sack. Statistically, the Rams go 6 of 11 from third, while the the Cardinals go 8 of 13. The Cardinals have 465 yards to the Rams' 400. The Rams lose the turnover battle. Clearly a reason why they lose the game. They get out-possessed by nine minutes. One of the turnovers comes from a Matthew Stafford pick. Where did the other one come from? And a Sony Michelle fumble. Um, You know, obviously, Darrell Henderson was back. Sony did get three carries for 11 yards. Uh, and he also had, nope, that was it. Three carries for 11 yards and a fumble. I doubt he'll be as involved in that offense or maybe even be on the team very much longer. And then another NFC West juggernaut battle. The Seahawks defeat the, the 49ers 28-21. to Russell is 16-23, two touchdowns. Somehow Alex Collins is back in the mix. He gets 10 carries, 44 yards, and a touch. Chris Carson did outcarry him 13 carries, but only 30 yards which is a pretty poor 2.3 average dk metcalf gets four catches 65 yards and a touch and on the offensive nine side for the niners obviously jimmy g gets hurt he does go 14 23 165 a touchdown and a pick before he leaves insert trey lance nine of 18 157 yards and two touchdowns for 117 rating there's a lot of people that say hey we want trey lance the niners like hey we weren't even prepared to have trey lance as a starter this early but I think you could find a way to utilize and both keep defenses off, especially because um, the lack of the running game, all the injuries, maybe you use Trey Lance as a runner. You know, that's your future quarterback. So I, you know, that's tough to do. Uh, but Trey Sermon, the lead back with all the injuries, 19 carries, 89 yards, 
pretty solid game with a 4.7 average. And Debo Samuel, Debo, leads the team 8 of 156, two touchdowns. On the defensive side of the ball, Bobby Wagner, of course, double-digit tackles with 10. Aziz Al-Solaire with 10 tackles as well uh, for the Niners. Statistically, the Niners 2 of 14 on third. Seahawks 2 of 10. Those offenses are struggling. They're going to need to improve if they want to keep pace in the NFC West. The um, Niners did out-yard the Seahawks by almost 200 yards, but lost the turnover battle 2 to 0, and they did have a, a better time of possession. But one pick coming from Jimmy, and then one fumble from Trenton Cannon cost them the game. The Seahawks escape, and now they have a short week against the Rams, uh, which will be fun. NFC West, you got to keep an eye. It's like the NLE, NL East in the baseball this year. You got to keep an eye on every single game. It's going to be a close race to the end. And then we have the Ravens beating the Broncos in mile high. I did not expect them to win, but also Teddy Bridgewater with the concussion. Did not expect that to happen. A Lamar, though, really winning the game through the air. I, this has got to be his first 300-yard game, right? Let's look. A season. Game log. Da -da. Nope. Yep. First 300-yard game of the season. Wins it through the air. He goes 22, 37, 316 yards. A touchdown for 96 rating. Latavius Murray leads the backfield with 18 carries. 59 yards, even though his average is still terrible. 3.3 with a touchdown. Uh, Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown, and Lamar Jackson's connection coming up. I just traded DeAndre Swift for Marquise Brown and Kenny Galladay. Marquise Brown, four catches, 91 yards, and a touchdown. On the Broncos offense, Drew Locke. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater was 7-16 for 65 yards and a touch before leaving. Insert Drew Locke, 12-21, 113 yards and a pick. Drew Locke definitely looks like the backup quarterback. But yeah, Drew Locke definitely looking at, uh, like a backup with a 52.3 rating. On the ground, they didn't get to move the ball quite as well as they normally do. Melvin Gordon with nine carries for 56 yards. Javante Williams, seven for 48. But they did average 6.2 for Melvin, 6.9 for Javante. Uh, it was kind of a broken game script once Teddy left. The uh, Ravens were up 17 to seven and a half, and that was really most of the game. Cortland Sutton did leave the receiving core for the Broncos, 3 for 47. Not a big day on the offensive side of the ball for the Broncos, but Kareem Jackson, 11 tackles. Again, you see a guy like that, a stud in the secondary, getting as many tackles as that. Usually, they're getting passed on, while the Ravens had uh, 316 yards in the air. You know, you know, and 22 catches, I'm not surprised. Caden Stearns for the Broncos did have two sacks. Tyus Bowser for the Ravens. Little stud they got there. Two sacks as well. Statistically, the Broncos 3 of 14 on third down. Um, the Ravens 7 of 17. The, the Ravens did out yard the Broncos by 150. And the Broncos lost the turnover battle and the time of possession by seven minutes. That's a losing recipe. But they still got some pieces. They still battled through the game. Um, to round out, we had the Sunday night game. The big Tom Brady returned to Foxborough. And it was a perfect Tom Brady return. It was a good fucking game. Bill Belichick, you know, coached a, uh, coached his ass off in this game. It was rainy. It was nasty. It's a bummer Gronk is out. He has a couple of fractured ribs and a pierced lung. They haven't given a time frame. I assume he'll be out for some while. Um, so it's a bummer not seeing him uh, being involved for the Bucks against the Patriots. But it was just the perfect script for the GOAT coming back against one of the GOAT coaches of all time. 
and even the way they, they managed the game. It was fun to watch it. You could tell a very big pressured game for both sides. But Mac Jones, man, he looked calm in the storm. 31 of 40, 275, uh, two touchdowns and a pick for 101 rating. Meanwhile, Tom, 22-43, 269 um, for a 70 rating. I'm impressed with Mac. I really am. I figured he'd fit the Patriots' schematics, but I felt like it would take some time like the other rookies, and he's fit right in. For the running game, the the Patriots didn't really have any. They had uh, the leading back was Nelson Aguilar. Well, not a leading back, but one rush, four yards. The Bucs, led by Leonard Fournette, playoff Lenny, 20 carries, 91 yards. Ronald Jones did get the touch, only six carries for 25 yards as Leonard Fournette's taken over the backfield. On the receiving side, Mike Evans led the Bucks seven for 75, and Jacoby Myers leading the Patriots eight for 70. Um, no big things on the, the defensive side of the ball except Joe Tyron Shoinka did have two sacks, and statistically, the Pats two of nine on third, the Bucks nine of 19. Total yards. The um, Patriots got out yarded by 90 to the Bucks. They lost the turnover battle with two turnovers in the time of possession by seven minutes. They lose 19 to 17. Uh, to me, this shows the Patriots definitely going to be stingy. They are improving week to week. The Bucks have a ton of, uh, of um, injury issues. Their secondary is very patchwork. Their run game is suspect. So it's going to be interesting to see how they go with all the pressure of being the defending world champions. That's why it's so hard to repeat in today's NFL even when you got to go. And then the Monday night game, this huge billions of dollar stadium dome in LA in Inglewood starts the day with a lightning delay because there are some openings in the stadium. I thought, you know, Twitter had a heyday here. It was very ironic, uh, but the chargers come out, the gates hot. The Raiders try to come back, but it wasn't enough as the chargers win 28, 14, Justin Herbert, the young stud with the, with the big records, um, with the 200 pass completions already thus far, 25 of 38, 222, three touchdowns for 107 rating. Uh, Austin Eckler with his biggest game on the season, 15 carries, 117 yards, and a touchdown. That's a 7.8 per carry average. And then Jared Cook, it doesn't matter who he's on. He's balling. I mean, how old is this son of a gun? He's 34 years old, still doing his thing. Six receptions, 70 yards, and a touchdown. Um, Henry Ruggs for the Raiders with the lead three for 60. One of those coming on a 51 yard catch and Josh Jacobs back in action as he was a game time decision, 13 carries for 40 yards, but only a 3.1 average on the defensive side of the ball. Corey Littleton and Denzel Perryman continue to shred for the Raiders. Littleton with 14 tackles, Perryman with 12 and uh, Darius Phylon with two sacks for the Raiders. Statistically, the whoops. The Chargers go 4-13, so do the, the Raiders. The Vegas Raiders, 4-13 on third down. The Chargers out-yard the Raiders by 170 yards. The Raiders lose the turnover battle 1-0 and are out-possessed by nine minutes. The Chargers bolt up literally and figuratively in the lightning delay in the SoFi showdown. It was a good action last week. Well, let's talk about what's up this week, week five, right? As we move into a 17-game season, week five, kind of like Q2, so to speak. Then we'll talk about the standings. I'll give you a little, you know, panic, trust meter on where the teams stand and go from there. This week, though, Thursday night showdown here in Seattle. I thought about going to the game, 
But not being a Seahawks fan, it's hard to go to the game. You don't get very good seats. You pay a lot of money. The fans treat you like shit. I'd rather just be at home with my 82-inch TV, surround sound, chilling, watching this game. But the Rams coming into town at 3-1 and one to visit the Seahawks 2-2. Two and two. I'm picking the Rams on the road on the short week. They got to have some anger under their ass when the, when the Cardinals lit them up last week. And the, the Seahawks show that they still have a lot of holes to fill. Moving into Sunday morning, my Pittsburgh Steelers are in desperation mode as they host the Broncos. Teddy Bridgewater, I would assume, could play, but it's all up to the doctors and the um, concussion diagnosis, so something to look into. Uh, but the defense becoming whole, Claypool and um, Chucks Okafor, their linemen are expected back. Probably be an ugly game. The Broncos always play the Steelers ugly, no matter how good or bad both teams are, and it's always down to the wire. And much like the Vegas Raiders, they typically find a way to win. But it's not in mile high this time. I'm going with the Steelers. They're favored by a point. I do assume they cover that point, uh, but it's going to be a messy game for sure. The Jets travel to Atlanta to play the Falcons. This is going to be a very interesting game. The Jets coming off their first win. The Falcons 1-3. and three. I'm giving it to the Falcons just on the home field advantage difference, uh, but this is going to be a 50-50 game. It's going to be fun to see how Zach Wilson can do after the last performance against a not very good defense of the Falcons. You know, there was supposedly reports of Matt Ryan wanting out. He's shut those down quickly. Um, but that team has got to find a way to win as well. The Packers travel to Cincy to play the Bengals. Both teams 3-1. and one. That's kind of a surprise for me. The Bengals have definitely looked better than I expected. I had them, I believe, at three wins on the season. But they're not going to be able to handle the Packers offense. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers, the Packers defense is pretty lit up too. But if I had to pick between Rodgers and Burrow, as it stands today, I'm going with Rodgers. I'm going to take them. Uh, they are a three-point favorite. It's going to be a close game. Another fun game, 3-1 and one in the morning slate on Sunday. The Vikings host the Lions. The 1-3 and three Vikings with the, one of the tougher schedules thus far in the season, as well as my Pittsburgh Steelers, who have the toughest schedule in the season. I think they come back pretty drastically here. I think it's a, a heavy run game, a heavy time of possession game. The Vikings are going to win. They're a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. That is a little bit big for me. Uh, the, I hate with the seven-point-plus spreads, uh, but the Vikings are going to win at home. A couple more morning games on Sunday. The Buccaneers play the Dolphins. Uh, supposedly, uh, Tua Tagliavoa. Tua Tagliavoa. His name is so hard to say. Uh, but Tua's coming back. He's going to be playing against the Bucks. Good defense. I would assume that they could take some open shots with their speedy receivers in that secondary, but we have no idea what the real health is on Tua. I'm going to go with the Bucks at home. They're a 10-point favorite. I doubt they cover, uh, but that's going to be uh, a huge win for the or a huge game for Tua and the Dolphins. Meanwhile, the Washington football team's hosting the Saints, a little battle of two and two teams. The Saints are a point and a half favorite. I'm going with Heineke. Give me some more Heineke. Give me some more football team. The Sheriff injury does concern me, but I think they find a way to win at home and, and they beat the Saints. Moving on, we have the Panthers and the Eagles. You guys know the Panthers are my shiny little toy. They have CMC coming back. They're going to find a way, way to win. They have a three-and-a-half-point spread. I feel like they're going to cover in this game at home. Watch out for the augmented reality, realistic Panther coming into the stadium and wrecking around. The Jaguars host the Titans. Could the Titans lose to the two worst teams in back-to-back -back weeks? I highly doubt that's going to happen. I haven't heard much on Julio or AJ. I'm assuming one of them, if not both, are going to play. Let's see what fantasy says. Jay Brown. 
No updates since Sunday on AJ, so I'm doubting none on Julio. Nope. So no updated injuries on them, but there's no way that they're going to find a way to lose. Plus the whole Urban Meyer drama this past week. I'm going with the Titans. They're favored in four. They'll probably cover. I'm taking the Titans upset on the road. Well, the away team winning on the road. And then the Texans hosting the Patriots. I will never bet on Davis Mills in that offense. The Patriots and Mac Jones are going to go to two and three on the season. They're favored by nine. I don't know if they'll cover that nine, but they are going to find a way to win. Moving into the afternoon, the Vegas Raiders taking on the Bears. You know, if Andy Dalton's going to play, supposedly starting, but Justin Fields, I feel like, earn an opportunity. We'll see what happens there. Definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, the Vegas Raiders are going to be playing in the Death Star. They're favored by five and a half. I think they cover as the Bears have a lot of question marks heading into this week. Two, three, and one teams in the afternoon slate as the Chargers host the Browns. The Chargers with the big divisional win against the, the, at the time, undefeated Vegas Raiders. Baker Mayfield with a very tough game. He's going to look to bounce back, have an OBJ on his side. I think the Chargers find a way to win this. They're favored by a point and a half. It's going to be very tight. That point and that half a point might make the difference in the spread. But I'm taking the Chargers. Then we have Cowboys-Giants. It's going to be a fun one as Danny Dimes looks great. As great as Danny Dimes in the offense looked last week, I don't think they're going to find a way to win in Dallas with the tough 3-1 three, three Cowboys. The Cowboys are favored by 7. I don't think they cover the spread. This is closer than people think, but I'm taking the Cowboys at home. The undefeated Cardinals hosting the Niners. You know, I had the Niners as my Super Bowl pick. Probably the one, I mean, there's a lot of injuries there, obviously. But probably one of the teams that I missed the most on as I look at it through the quarter, I wanted to find a way to pick them to win this game, but same thing. Like, okay, Jimmy's coming back. Is he not coming back? If he comes back, how healthy Trey Lance, you know, how, how's that week of practice go? It's just a mess. And as hot as the Cardinals are, I'm just going to keep rolling with the Cardinals. They're a five and a half point favorite though. I don't think they'll cover. I do think the 49ers play them close as you, they're kind of fighting for their lives in that division. The Cardinals stay undefeated five and zero though. And then Sunday night, the AFC Championship, we have the Chiefs and the Bills, 2-2 two and two Chiefs, 3-1 and one Bills. I'm going to take the showdown with, you know, my Chiefs. I probably won't pick against them most of the year at home in this game. In prime time, Pat Mahomes is going to shine. Travis Kels, Tyreek Hill, there's too many weapons. Uh, Clyde's Edwards-Hilaire looking better than the running backs for the Bills at this point. I'm taking the Chiefs. They're a two-and-a-half point favorite. I, I am taking them to cover. And then Monday night, we have the Ravens and the Colts. Carson Wentz. Um, Versus Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson doing great things through the air. This game is at home, but the Colts defense is scrappy. They are finding a way to run the ball. I think they find a way to win this game on the road. I think they go into Baltimore. Baltimore is a seven-point favorite. If you want to pick a nice underdog, the Colts are the team to do it. And I'm picking the Colts right now. I don't even know if I picked them in my picks, to be honest. Let's see what I did here. Just off the fly, that felt right. I'm, I'm taking the Colts. What am I doing here? I picked the Ravens in my pick, so we'll see if I switch. That's how that's how debated I am. But now that I looked at the stats again, right? I, I felt the mojo where the teams are. The Colts have to win this game. They're one and three. Right? They've had a tough schedule to start this year. Let's see what their, their next few games are. So the Colts have thus far lost to the Seahawks in a close game, lost to the Rams in a close game. Lost to the Titans in a close game. Beat the Dolphins on the road. Three road games in a row. Yeah, 
I'm going with Colts. I'm switching my picks after this podcast. Let's go. Not putting them in a parlay, though. Not putting that in a parlay. Not that ballsy. But, hey, week five, we got some games. I mean, Rams, Seahawks, that's going to be a blast. And the morning slate, um, Washington Saints, to me, that's a fun game. Can the Panthers keep winning? It's worth checking into. In the afternoon, Cowboys, Giants, must watch. Chargers, Browns, must watch. Niners, Cardinals, must watch. Both primetime games going to be some doozies. Week five, we got the business in football, baby. Woo! Um, thus far on the season for my picks, I'm 42 and 22 plus 20 games. I feel pretty good about that when my pick is one week. i uh, excited to see what this week has to offer. But looking at the standings, let's look at the panic meter. We're a quarter in. Where do we feel? Let's take, check the pulse. Let's, let's see how I feel about the teams. In the AFC East, the Bills, 3-1. and one. I feel good about the Bills. I picked them to win the division. Um, the game to the Steelers is definitely a shocker to me. I obviously didn't have faith in my Steelers, but I think they're going to rebound. They're going to have a good season. I don't think they're going to play as efficient as they did last year. I don't think they're going to be able to beat the Chiefs and get into the Super Bowl, but they're looking good. I want to, I'd feel good if I'm a Bills fan. I still think they win the division. The Dolphins, meanwhile, one of three. My paddock meter would be a, probably an eight, especially with the Will Fuller injury. There's just all these injuries. Tua has not even been healthy through a quarter of the season. It's going to be a long season for them. Are they going to be better than the, the Jets is going to be the real question to see who has a better record. If Tua can be healthy, I'm taking the, the Dolphins. If not, the Jets might have a better record than the, the Dolphins. The Patriots, one and three. I do think they turn around. They're going to get better as the season goes by as long as they can stay healthy as they already have a few uh, injuries. You know, Isaiah Wynn is not going to be long on COVID. They'll get Jamie Collins into that team. I, I feel pretty good about the Patriots. The Bengals, three and one. I think they are well overperforming. Um, but that just shows what they're capable of. That offense has a lot of mouse. As long as they can keep Joe Burrow upright, they're going to be okay. Obviously, they have the Packers this week. Lions, Ravens, Jets, Browns, Raiders, Steelers, Chargers. They have a pretty tough schedule. So I had them with three wins. We'll see how the second half goes. But I definitely don't see them atop of the AFC North in the next few weeks. The Ravens 3-1 and one with all their injuries. Lamar found a way to win last week. This Monday night game is really going to be a tall tale sign to me, especially at home against the Colts, who aren't an amazing team, but a solid defense. Uh, they play Chargers, Bengals, Vikings, Dolphins, Bears, Browns after that. Potentially, they can get a little bit healthier, but I still see them as a sketchy team to win the NFC North. The Browns are 3-1. to one. They've played bad football. They found a way to beat the Vikings, a team that I had in, coming into the season as a playoff team. You got to feel pretty good about the Browns. Even when they're playing ugly ball, they're finding a way to win. And they were almost able to beat the Chiefs on opening day. The Steelers, my panic meter is probably a seven, right? There's way too many injuries. The line's getting a little bit better. I think they'll find a way. But there's just such a lack of depth there. I know I took a risk on them. I picked them as the AFC champ. I tried to brag about it because nobody else is picking them. Do I still think they have an opportunity? Potentially. But they have must-win games now. We look at their schedule. They play the Broncos. That's a must-win. You have the Seahawks at home. Potentially, they could afford to lose that. But then they have a bye week, right? Great week for a bye week. You you beat the Broncos and Seahawks at home. You get a bye. You're at the Browns. Then you have Bears-Lions. You could really turn the season around. So this Broncos game, you lose it. There's no way they're winning the division in my book. Broncos game, you win it. There's potential within the season. Don't count them out yet. Everyone wants to count them out yet. The Steelers always find a way to show that you can't count them out. They don't lose, right? They don't have losing seasons. In the AFC South, the Titans... <sighs> This, this division is going to be interesting. The Titans and the Colts. Titans at 2-2. Two and two, The Colts at 1-3 are 
are going to be battling for this division as long as Carson Wentz stays healthy. The Texans, I assume, would finish on the bottom. The Jaguars 0-4 should find a way to win. They're, they're scrapping out some games. They've been close. They've lost them. Um, they got to find a way to win, but this division is just a shit show. You shouldn't be confident in any of these teams if you're looking at playoff performances and, and postseason potential. And the AFC West is a different story. The Chargers look better than I expected early. That offense is great. The defense has missed some weapons now, but they have key playmakers in Bosa and Derwin James is healthy. God, I fucking love Derwin James. Glad to see him out there roaming the backfield. Uh, the Raiders, I feel like, are overperforming a little bit. As they play more NFC West teams, I feel like they're going to be down the pecking order. You know, if Bridgewater could stay healthy, they might be the fourth best team in that division. This is a very tough division this year. And you guys know how highly I think of the Chiefs. They're still my Super Bowl favorites today. In the NFC East, the Cowboys should run away with it, but the Giants look like they have some life. The, the Washington football team, much like last year, is going to be a team that's going to scratch and claw into every game. But the defense is very underperforming, which is a huge surprise to me. They have 122 points scored against at this point in the season. The only team that's worse is the Chiefs. This is a team that we thought would be a top five performing team. With that defense not being able to turn around, my panic meter would be pretty high, like seven-ish, maybe even eight if I'm Washington football team. And the Eagles, they are exactly who they were, who we thought they were. I didn't think Jalen Hurts in that team, especially with all those injuries now, uh, have much potential. It's not a team I think too highly of at this point in time. In the NFC North, the Packers, 3-1. and one. I do think them and the Vikings, even though the Vikings are 1-3, and three, this division's coming down to the wire. The Bears with their decision-making, the play-calling, the coaching, my panic meter would be pretty high. And the Lions are the Lions. Jared Goff's there. You'll be lucky to win five games. They have 119 points scored against them. In the NFC South, the Buccaneers and the Panthers are 3-1. and one. This is exactly how I expected the division to lay out. We're a quarter in. You got Bucks, Panthers, Saints, Falcons. That's exactly how I would say it plays out. If I'm the Saints... You're kind of like the football team. You're a little bit of a scrappy team. You could find and surprise teams on ways to win, but they really need Michael Thomas back, and we haven't heard any updates on him from what I know. Let me double check here. Nope, no updates from Michael Thomas. Um, so if, if he comes back and that offense finds a way to shine him and Jameis are on the same page, maybe they can scrap up some more. And then the Falcons, Cordell Patterson's your best offense on offensive weapon. You got to be concerned. And with the Matt Ryan issues, you already got to be concerned with the rumors already. And the NFC West, the Cardinals, very, very surprising to me. There are a potential team to win the division once they've shown that they could beat the Rams, who I think is the best team in the division. I still feel good about the Rams. They probably needed to lose to get off their high horse. The Seahawks have a lot of question marks, and the Niners, potentially the team I missed the most on. There are some injuries already in play that I didn't expect, but it's a long season. Who knows? They have the defensive side, the coach, the minds to put it together. But we're a quarter through the season. It's crazy. I hate that I love football so much. I'm already concerned that it's four weeks in. It's going to be gone sooner than you know it, and I'm going to be in the offseason struggling for week one. Uh, but that's our NFL action. Holy shit, all the things going on. But we got more football. Let's talk some college football with week five's performances. Well, in college football, there was a lot of action this week, especially when it comes to the college football playoff and the outlook thus far. Heading into Friday, Iowa destroying Maryland 51-14. to A lot of this came down to the turnovers that Maryland and uh, Tua's brother, Tolia 
Tagovailoa. I needed to learn how to say that name better. I'm murdering it. I've never really tried to say it until the podcast. But his brother, five picks on the day. Spencer Patras, 21-30, 259-3 touchdowns as the Hawkeyes roll on Friday before the weekend. BYU beats Utah State 34-20. They're ranked 13. That's why we're talking about them. Um, I don't know much about Utah State, but that seems like a little close of a game for a 13th ranked team, you ask me. <clears throat> so then, well, that's why we got the top 25 on. Got to do more than the top 25, right? I like to know the whole FBS. And Thursday, Virginia escapes Miami as Miami lose again. Uh, Virginia wins 30-28. to I don't believe Derek King or the backup player, backup quarterback started. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, 15-29, 230 yards and a touchdown. I believe that's their third third string quarterback. But they almost find a way to win against Virginia. Um, Oklahoma. Hey, look at these. They finally beat Kansas State. As much critics and as much bullshit that people want to say on the Oklahoma Sooners, they are 5-0 and they've typically lost an early season game. Have they put up the gaudy numbers? Have they done the big plays? Absolutely not. But other teams are focusing on that. If they could be efficient, find ways to win. Winning games matters. They're 5-0. and I can't complain as a Sooner fan. Uh, these games are pretty close, though. Spencer Rattler, 22-25, 243, two touchdowns and a pick. More Spencer Rattler-like, still with the turnovers, though. And Kennedy Brooks getting more involved. Finally, as a Sooner fan, you want him involved. 15 carries, 91 yards for a touchdown. Uh, 6.1 per average. And Eric Gray chipping in four carries, 22 yards. Meanwhile, Skylar Thompson somehow gets to play this game. Did not expect that. He goes 29 of 41, 320, and three touchdowns. The deuce didn't quite get loose. He had 15 carries for 51 yards for a 3.4 average. Marvin Mims making an appearance, which is a great sight because he was rolling last year with Spencer. Four receptions, 71 yards. But deuce did get loose as a receiver. 10 receptions, 104 yards, and a touchdown out of the backfield. Statistically, Oklahoma, 4-7 on three, which is great. Kansas State, 8-15. Kansas State did out-yard the, the Sooners, but it didn't matter. They both had a turnover. Kansas State out-possessed the Sooners, but they find a way to win. That's what matters. Meanwhile, Alabama, roll, tide, roll. Nobody has been close to Alabama, not include, including Matt uh, Corral, the um, Heisman Trophy candidate and the Ole Miss team as they lose 42 to 21. Uh, Matt Coral goes 21 to 29, 213 and a touch. They weren't able to run. Not a big lot of offense. Bryce Young, my Heisman favorite, 20 to 26, 241, two touchdowns and a, and a pick. And Brian Robinson Jr. Man, 36 carries, 171 yards for a 4.8 average and four touches. And Jamison Williams leads the Bama receiving core five for 65. Moving on, we got Georgia beating Arkansas. Not just beating, but stopping them. There's the elite, Alabama and Georgia. There's rest of college football, as we as we can say. The two second rank versus the eighth rank, not even close. Stetson Bennett starting, not even their starting quarterback. Seven for 11, 72 yards. They run for 273 yards a, a bunch of, amongst a bunch of different um, running backs. And this game started poorly. Georgia goes down, scores. I, th I believe they block a punt, get a touchdown, score the second drive. All of a sudden, you know, it's 21-0 in the first quarter. Um, Arkansas does not have much offense whatsoever, and they finish the day with no turnovers but just cannot do anything on that stiff, stiff Bulldog defense. 
And Stanford always finds a way to win. I didn't have the balls to pick them this year, but they beat the Ducks in overtime to ruin the Ducks' chance at the playoff. Uh, Tanner McKee, 20 of 36, 230 and three touchdowns as he's starting to heat up. And the um, Stanford offense is picking up themselves. Uh, Nathaniel Pete, 15 carries, 78 yards. Elijah Hughes, 6 for 62 and a touch. On the Oregon side, Travis Dye, 19 carries, 96 yards. Micah Pittman, one catch for 66 yards to lead the Ducks. And the Ducks' hopes are all but gone. Penn State rolls it against a team that was highly ranked in Indiana early in the season. 24-0, that defense stays stout. Sean Clifford plays good ball. 17-33, 178, three touchdowns and a pick. They're able to run the ball well, consistent offense. Penn State stays undefeated. And then I ended up picking Notre Dame because it's just hard for me to believe that Cincinnati's as good as they are. But Cincinnati showed a really good squad, a really good game here. Desmond Ritter, 19 to 32, 297 and two touches. Uh, Alec Pierce, six catches, 144 yards. Meanwhile, um, Jack Cohen gets hurt, 14 to 22, 114 yards. Drew Pine comes in, 9 to 22, 140 yards and a touchdown. Um, Kylan, Kyron Williams, only 13 carries for 45 yards, a poor 3.5 average and a touchdown. Um, Cincinnati causes three turnovers. They turn it over twice themselves, but they beat the Notre Dame fighting Irish 21 to 24 to 13. Their playoff hope stays alive. Notre Dame's is ended. And I see some more losses down the road for Notre Dame. The biggest surprise for me for the weekend, Kentucky, not the basketball team, the football team 5 and 0 over the Florida Gators who just played Alabama really well. Emory Jones still doing his thing, 23 of 31, 203 yards, a touchdown and a pick, and he led the team in running, 13 carries for 63 yards, but you can't do it by yourself, and if you want to win the game, you can't turn the ball over. Although both teams turned the ball over once, um, Kentucky didn't have a lot of offense. You know, looking at this, I'm like, really at the end of the day, how the hell did Kentucky win? Well, they had a 76-yard return blocked field goal for a touchdown to go up 13-10 to going into the fourth, and that was enough for them to escape uh, with, the, with the victory. I expect Florida to come back and bounce back. Ohio State rolls against Rutgers. C.J. Stroud's back behind center. He goes 17-23, 330 yards and five tutties. But we're talking about Rutgers. We're talking about Rutgers? Come on. Uh, Trayvon Henderson, eight carries, 71 yards and a touchdown for 8.9 average. He's rolling. Chris Olave doing Olave-like things. Five catches, 119, and two tutties. Michigan smokes Wisconsin. It's not been on Wisconsin this year. This is the worst Wisconsin team I've seen of, of, of memory. They're, they start the season 1-3. Graham Mertz, 8-15 and 115 and a touch for Wisconsin. Cade McNacamara, 17-28, 197 and two touches for Michigan. Michigan's run game doesn't look quite as stout as, uh, as past week's. But they still blow out the um, the Badgers, and they win the turnover battle three to one. No wonder the Wisconsin offense only put up seventeen. Mississippi State defeats Texas A and M. Obviously, Texas A and M not having their starting quarterback. Will Rogers, very Mike Leach like game. Fifty nine attempts, forty six of fifty nine, four hundred eight yards and three touchdowns. No running game whatsoever. Makai Polk leads the receiving core, 13 catches, 126, and two touchdowns. And Isaiah Spiller barely gets 100, 16 carries, 100 yards for a 6.3 average as Mississippi State wins 26-22. Coastal Carolina still rolling 59-6. Grayson McCall 
100% completions on the day. 13 to 13, 212 and two touchdowns. Reese White with 15 carries, 95 yards. And Isaiah Likely with five catches, 95 yards and two touchdowns. The Chanticleers are the real deal. Michigan State beats Western Kentucky 48 to 31. Peyton Thorne, 20 of 30, 327 and a touchdown. Kenneth Walker III, 24 for 126 and three touchdowns. And Jalen Naylor, 8 for 128. And Jaden Reed, four catches, 127 and a touch. Michigan State looking stout, but it was Western Kentucky. Fresno State update up or upset by Hawaii. The 18th ranked team I thought looked a little overrated as they had a tough game the week before. Jake Hayner, 50 attempts, 28 for 50, 388, three touchdowns, but four picks on the day. Hawaii finds a way to win the turnover battle costly for the for Fresno State as they drop 27 to 24 to Hawaii. A fun Big 12 battle. Oklahoma State beats Baylor 24 to 14. I expected Oklahoma State to, to take it. Spencer Sanders somehow escapes with three picks. He goes 13 to 23, 182, a touchdown and three picks. Jalen Warren does have 36 carries for 125 yards. Mediocre three and a half average, two touchdowns. Uh, but Baylor's offense doesn't really do a lot. Gary Bohanan, 13 to 27, 173 yards. And Oklahoma State escapes with a nine-minute uh, possession win, but has three turnovers. So you're, you're kind of surprised that they win by 10. No crazy special team stuff here. But they ended up they end up winning to go five and zero on the season. Technically, this is an upset with the rankings, not really an upset in my book. But Arizona State beats UCLA forty two to twenty three. They clobber them on the evening slate. Jaden Daniels thirteen and nineteen, two eighty six and two touchdowns, and then uh, didn't have to do as much on his feet today. Rashad White nine carries, sixty nine yards and two touchdowns. Tremonte. Trainum, 16 for 67 and a touch on the ground. And Ricky Pearsall, four catches, 132 yards and two touches. Dorian Thompson-Robinson really trying to do this by himself. 21 to 32, 235 and a touch. He also ran the ball 19 times for 96 yards for a 5.1 average. Flipping to some SEC football. Auburn beats LSU. It's a close one. Bo Nix, he gets benched. How's he look? 23 of 44, 255 and a touchdown. Runs the ball 12 times for 74 yards and a touchdown. If you have Bleacher Report, you saw the crazy Johnny Manziel-like play. Scrambles to the right, escapes. Boots legs all the way back down to the left. Cross-body throw to the end zone, touchdown. That's some crazy shit, but I wouldn't be too excited if I'm an Auburn fan. John Samuel Schenker, five catches, 102 yards. Max Johnson, 26-46, 325, a touchdown and a pick. And Kayshawn Boot, six catches, 127 and a touch. Auburn finds a way to win. North Carolina State in the rankings beats Louisiana Tech by a touchdown. Their quarterback, nope, that's Louisiana Tech's quarterback. So, yeah, North Carolina State finds a way to win. Uh, Wake Forest in the rankings, they barely escape Louisville, 37-34. to 34. Sam Hartman, 23-40, 324 yards and two touchdowns. And Jakari Robertson gets six catches for 135. Clemson finds a way to beat Boston College. This is always a close, yucky game. They win 19 to 13. Uh, DJ has 13 for 28, 207 yards. And Kobe Pace has 19 carries for 125 and a touch. And Joseph Ngata, four catches, 111 yards. They beat Boston College. Pittsburgh continues to roll. They beat Georgia Tech. They put up a 50 burger, 52 to 21. And my guy, Kenny Pickett. Damn, Kenny. 
23 hit 36, 389, and another four touchdowns put him in the Heisman running. Um, Israel Abenkinda Konda, 15 carries, 60 yards, and two touchdowns. While Tasir Matt grabs five catches for 121 in a touch, and Jordan Addison six for 117 in a touch. That boy Kenny though, future Pittsburgh Steeler. If it's not Rogers, get Kenny Pickett. Um, North Carolina beats Duke 38 to seven. Sam Howell puts up ridiculous numbers in the ACC. He has 18 for 32, 321, and three touchdowns. Also runs the ball for 13 times for 29 yards. And Josh Downs, you must love the big ball with with Sam. Eight catches, 160 yards, and a touchdown. Texas beats TCU. This is a close game. Fun little Big 12 game. Casey Thompson playing decent ball. 12 of 22, 142, a touchdown, and a pick. But Bajan Robinson, man. This guy is a grown-ass man. 35 carries, 216 yards on a 6.2 average. Six carries a run 35 times. Sheesh. Two touchdowns is long for uh, 27. Max Duggan, 20 for 28, 182, and a touchdown. Zach Evans trying to do his impression as well. 15 carries, 113 yards for a 7.5 average and a touch. Sean Robinson, watch out. Red River t- this week, we'll talk. Um, Appalachian State beats Georgia State 45-16 to 16 as they try to get back in the rankings. USC destroys Colorado. Col- Colorado's look terrible, but Keldon Slovis, uh, Kadon Slovis, 19-29, 276 and three touchdowns. Did he have any turnovers? No turnovers. That's good as he's back. That young freshman... You know, you don't want to lose your job there. Texas Tech beats West Virginia 23-20 to after West Virginia almost upsets the Sooners. Jarrett Doge, 25-33, 318 and a touch for West Virginia. Henry Columbi, 23-34, 266 yards. Makes me wonder about the Oklahoma-Texas game. A little, a little nervous here. A little nervous as a Sooner fan. Boise State drops one in Nevada. Can't have that, 31-41. to Let's see. Iowa State back on the winning track, 59-7 over Kansas, though. Brock Purdy, 17-22, 244, 245, and four touchdowns. That's the numbers we expect. Brees Hall, 17 carries, 123 yards, and two touches. Washington loses again as they get beat by Oregon State, 27-24. Sorry, sorry, Husky fans. Speaking of the Huskies, I have the shirt... Right, shout out Sean Rainey showed it on Twitter. But up with Montana, the stunner in Seattle, thirteen to seven. I was there. Biggest regular season win of that I know of for the Grizz. I had to get a shirt for it. Right, it's like a twenty dollar t shirt. Had to get it. Um, it'll be memories. I was there. Can't forget. So I had to get a t shirt. Figured I'd wear it on the pod. You know, go Grizz. Speaking of the Grizz, they dropped to Eastern Washington. Very close game. They had their opportunities. Their defense played well. They slowed down the hot offense of the Eagles. The big news, though, no update. 23 seconds left. Cam Humphrey goes stretched off the team. You know, there's lots of rumors that he'll be out for some while. Hopefully, he could come back and play. Regardless, they played Dixie State this week. He doesn't necessarily need to play in that game. But if they want to have an opportunity to, to be as good as us fans think they could be and have an opportunity in the playoff, they need to have him back. So, to be determined, I'll keep people updated as I find out. But, uh, you know, I'm happy with the Grizz. Obviously, I'm bummed. I'm glad I didn't go to Cheney for it. That's for sure. A fucking red turf makes me want to throw up. But it was a huge game nonetheless in the FCS. 
Let me pull up the stats if I can find it. It's a late game. You'd think it'd be at the bottom. UC Davis beats Idaho. They're a ranked team in the FCS. Big Sky team, 5-0. and um, Idaho plays them tough, but that's, that's a, they stay undefeated. Weber State back in the win column. They beat Cal Poly 38-7 as they're a team that's still tough to beat and still going to be probably in the FCS rankings uh, by the end of it. Sam Houston, the number one team, barely escaped Stephen F. Austin 21-20. to I was really hoping Stephen F. Austin could get it done. Uh, Keegan Shoemaker, 16 to 29, 222 and two touchdowns. What else we have in FCS? James Madison escaping New Hampshire. Uh, they're a top team as well, top three. Cole, uh, they went 23 to 21. Cole Johnson, 33 of 44, 273 and three touchdowns. The battle of North Dakota. North Dakota State comes out on top. Close though, 16 to 10. Um, Quincy Patterson, 19 carries, 92 yards, and a touchdown for the, the, the Bison. Montana State continues to win a top-ranked FCS team. Boo, Montana State. The hell's the Grizz box score? Oh, it's at the very top, even though it's the latest game. It makes no sense. Um, Cameron Humphrey, 14-26, 150 yards, two touchdowns, and two picks. He has been a little reckless. The running game with two young kids, though, I didn't know how they would handle the season. Well, Xavier Harris, 18 carries, 124 yards for a 6.9 carry average and a touchdown. Samuel Akeem, of course, leads the receiving core, four for 58 and a touchdown. Um, Eric Barreri for the Eagles does put up 26 for 46, over 400 yards for 422, two touchdowns and two picks for him. And Dennis Merritt, 23 carries, 103 yards and a touch. But Telolo Limu Jones. 11 receptions, 231 yards. Come on, Grizz. He had a 58-yard catch. I was at the, the baseball game, so I was kind of streaming this as, as much as I could on my phone. Uh, statistically, the Grizz, 5 of 15 on third. Eastern Washington, 5 of 19. They out-yarded the Grizz by almost 200 yards. They both turned the ball over twice, and they had three minutes. had the ball three more minutes than the Grizz. Battle, you know, they're 4-6. and six. They switch in the rankings this week. Very gutty, very grindy. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with Humphrey. That's, you know, fingers crossed, blessings up. Hopefully he can return. That's who the Grizz play this week, Dixie State. They're 0-4, more of a bye week than anything. Watch them lose after I say that. Don't say that. Knock on wood. What else do we have in the FCS this week? Villanova playing James Madison. Another tough opponent for James Madison as they barely won last week. It's a game to be of note. That game's at 11 a.m. Pacific time. The Grizz game, if you wanted to know, noon Pacific. Let's see. North Dakota plays South Dakota. That's going to be a fun game. Two very tough Big Sky teams playing. Potential playoff teams. And that's it on the FCS side. It's definitely not it on the FBS side. On the FBS side, Thursday, Coastal Carolina plays Arkansas State. Not going to be a crazy game, but if you want to see if Coastal's legit or not, they play 4.30 p.m. on Thursday. little midweek game. That's during Thursday night football, though, and I'll be watching Thursday night for show. Seahawks-Rams. Cincinnati plays Temple Friday at 4 p.m. They're usually playing Friday. Don't say Not saying it's going to be a close game, but if you want to see how legit they are, I was very impressed. Obviously, the, the committee was impressed as they're in the, to the fifth spot in the rankings, which we'll talk about in a second. 
Arizona State, now 22nd ranked team, plays Stanford. They host Stanford. That's Friday night as well at 7.30. That's going to be a fun game to watch. That'll be on ESPN. The game of the week. You know I'm biased, but the Red River rivalry. Texas, 21. Oklahoma, 6. That's at 9 a.m. Pacific on ABC. Probably the most nervous I've been for Red River rivalry for a while. But with the young quarterback, I think that defense is going to be able to make him make enough mistakes. And hopefully they lean on the run game to get that dub. Uh, this will be a huge game for Spencer. Last year, if you remember, this is where he got benched going into half. He came back and won the game. Um, Maryland plays Ohio State. Both teams are 4-1. and one. Tua's brother versus C.J. Stroud in Ohio State. Worth watching. That's a 9 a.m. game. Ole Miss and Arkansas play. Two teams that just got roughed up by, by some very good SEC teams. This will be a, a physical battle. Matt Coral versus the very physical Arkansas team. I pick Ole Miss in this game. Uh, you know, the home field advantage definitely plays part, but this is a 9 a.m. game on ESPN. This is going to be very close. Mississippi, Ole Miss is six-point favorite. I doubt they cover in this game. Baylor plays West Virginia, another good Big 12 matchup. That's a 9 a.m. game on Fox Sports 1. Auburn plays Georgia at 12.30 Pacific on CBS. This is probably going to be a blowout, but let's see how deep Bo Nix, if, you know, he can keep his job against a brutal, brutal defense. BYU plays Boise State. This is always fun. I'm taking BYU, even though I think they're grossly overrated at 10. North Carolina, Florida State would have been fun, but Florida State's 1-4. That's not much. Definitely not tuned into that. Huge game. Besides the Red River rivalry, you got Iowa, Penn State at 1 o'clock Pacific on Fox. I'm taking Penn State on the road in this game. With their quarterback, Sean Clifford, playing as well as he has, I think they're going to be able to go and take this dub. TCU, Texas Tech in the Big 12. Texas Tech's 4-1, taking on the, the Horned Frogs. Michigan plays Nebraska. Potential decent game. Michigan's favored by 3.5. Notre Dame at Virginia Tech. I'm taking Virginia Tech. Notre Dame drops down to 14. I'm taking Virginia Tech at home. A little upset special. Kentucky plays LSU. We'll see if they can keep winning as LSU starts picking up steam, and so does Max Johnson. Texas A&M out of the rankings, but they host Alabama. We'll see if they can you know, make the game close whatsoever. Alabama's a 17.5-point favorite. And that's it for the slate. We have some massive games, though. The Red River rivalry, Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Iowa versus Penn State. My first reaction to the rankings, I have more overrated teams than underrated, but I do think Iowa, Cincinnati, Michigan, BYU, Notre Dame, Kentucky, Wake Forest, North Carolina State, San Diego State, and Arizona State are overrated. Obviously, San Diego State's 25, so they're barely in the rankings, but I do not think that highly of them. Um, so far, underrated Ole Miss, Florida, and Texas. Ole Miss right now is 17. Um, Texas is 21. And Florida is 20. I think they move up in the rankings for sure. Florida slipped the most down 10 spots. I would see them climbing back up in the rankings. Sheesh, what was that, like two hours of football? I don't give a shit. I love me some football. I like going over them. I like talking about it. I hope you guys like tuning in. And if you want me to talk about specifics for your stuff, let me know. Hit me up at Twitter. Hit me up at the comments on YouTube. Email me. DM me. Whatever is, ple whatever is ple pleasant for you. Let's make it happen. Boy, do we got some fights, though. 
We got to talk about the fights, and we still got baseball, right? The World Series happened. Uh, not the World Series. The wild card happened tonight. Fuck the Yankees. They dropped to the Red Sox. But let's talk the fight game. A couple different subs. You know, Dan Hooker coming in and replacing RDA for the Islam Makachev fight. I think this is actually more exciting. I think Dan Hooker is a better opponent and a bigger threat for Islam. Islam gets through Dan Hooker. He is certified the real deal. If you don't always already think he is, that's going to be a blast of a fight. Sean O'Malley finally has an official opponent, the Sugar Show. He was cut off a little bit off guard. That's what happens when you work with an agency that does things, you know, fully without you. But he's, he gets to fight Raulian Peva, the 15th ranked fighter in the bantamweight division, another young stud in the division. In my from from my what I from my view, this is the toughest opponent the Sugar Show has gone up against. Cub Swanson takes on Darren Elkins. Got to see Cubby at the end of his career. Darren Elkins can throw down as well. Tanner Bozer versus Sergey Pavlovich. As Tanner looks to get back on the winning side. Tiago Moises versus Joel Alvarez. Tiago Moises has looked good, but got stopped by the Islam train. And Bellator 267 this past weekend. The Lima rematch versus Page. Page gets his revenge in the Lima rematch. Wants to go for the title. And this weekend, we have the Fury Wilder trilogy. I'm going to watch. Absolutely going to watch. But do I really think Wilder has a chance? Absolutely not. But he has that one punch power. It's worth tuning into. But I'm not going to dive into it because the fact that there's a trilogy is kind of annoying in the first place. This is more annoying than the Figgy rematch, the trilogy. So let's talk UFC fight night this past weekend. One of the fighters that we didn't dive into, Alexander Hernandez. Also, he was like a 500 favorite. I knew he'd just blow the doors off this guy. Uh, but nice win for Alexander Hernandez as he's in the win, back in the win column. Pretty underwhelming card. Again, I was at the game trying to stream all these sports while watching the game. I'm in the moment, right? T-Mobile is a fucking packed house going crazy as the Mariners have life left in them. Um, but I'm kind of, you know, happy that I was at, at the game. I didn't miss much for this card. I thought it was going to be a lot better. And the main event was a dud, which I would have guaranteed. I would have bet anyone else on the house that it would have been a banger. But let's talk the early fights. Casey O'Neill with the second round TKO over at Antonina Shevchenko. Couldn't match her sister the week before and get the dub. I picked Antonina, lost that right away. Antonina looked good in the first round. She was countering Casey as she was coming forward. She likes to have that relentless pressure. And I was like, okay, Antonina. She was coming out with some combos. But O'Neill made this a dogfight. And I think that works up to her advantage. She was able to outmatch Antonina physically. She mixed in grappling, some cage work, and she used her just stout. She has these thick-ass legs, man. She used her stout legs to her advantage. She landed 128 total strikes and 52 significant versus Antonina's 58 total and 40 significant. And Casey also got three takedowns on the night. Antonina has dropped two in a row and three of her last four. At 36 years old, I'm not too sure where she's going to go from here. I don't know what her contract situation is. Uh, but with a 9-5 and five record, I'd assume she's got to be close to being cut. But in the women's division, they're not as deep, so who knows. But there's a lot of young studs like Casey O'Neill coming through with the women. I, I love watching some of this young talent. The women are getting better. They're able to train younger, You know, want to be a professional fighter earlier, an MMA fighter earlier. And I, I think we're seeing the, the fruits of that labor as the UFC is a bigger sport. Casey stays undefeated. You know, she looks great while doing it. I think a fight against Miranda Maverick, because she's now up to 14th in the ranks. Miranda Maverick's 15th, and she was unranked. I think that'd be an amazing fight. I think that's going to be a uh, probably a tough fight for her. I'd pick Miranda in that fight. A great fight, though. A fight fan fight. 
If not, Ciara Eubanks would be a great fight for her. Moving on, Jared Gordon, Jared Gordon with a split decision victory over Joe Selecki. I had taken Joe Selecki first two fights, taken L's. You know, this is a close back and forth fight. It was like this the whole fight. Even though Joe had four takedowns, he didn't get away with any submission attempts, which is kind of surprising. And Jared had the most damage landed. That's why I won the fight. Jared had 83 total strikes and 51 of those significant versus Joe's 70 total and 38 significant. He had one takedown to Joe's four, though. So, you know, I didn't catch this whole fight, but I, I feel like after the TJ Dillashaw fight, you know, the, the way scoring works, takedowns points. Does it cause the most damage? Right? It doesn't matter, but much like Dan Hooker said on the MMA Hour today, the UFC isn't about the five rounds. You know, it's not like basketball or football. I have the lead. I take a knee. I, I can sustain that victory. You have to win each round. It doesn't matter, right? And who wins the most rounds is going to win the fight. I don't understand how the striking could be that close. Joe has four takedowns to his one, and, and he loses the fight. But, you know, the judges are always different. That's why you can't let it go to the judges. It is what it is. Jared's on a three-fight winning streak while Joe's six-fight winning streak comes to an end. I could see Jared fighting a Vince Pichel or Mark Madsen. I've said their names a few times. They're guys that are they're having some wins in that division. Uh, Joe could fight someone such as Scott Holtzman or Leonardo Santos, but tough loss for Mr. Selecki. Um, don't know if I fully agree with it. Didn't get to watch the whole fight to really make an opinion, but statistically and from what I saw, it, it was a little surprising. Same with this fight. Christoph Jocko with a split decision over Misha Serkinov. I take Serkinov. It's three straight L's. It's a tough day in the office. You know, this is a great fight that came down to the end, but I'm a little surprised by this decision. I feel like the judges weren't giving uh, Misha's takedowns enough credit. Um, the rules haven't changed, so I don't know if the, the, the backlash has caused some change or what, but that was two fights in a row like this. Uh, Jocko landed 56 total and 41 significant strikes compared to Misha's 55 total and 41 significant. But Misha had five takedowns to Jocko's one. Misha lives off of his wrestling, and that's his game plan. That's exactly what I expected him to do in this fight. Uh, Jocko starts a new winning streak, and Misha has lost two in a row, uh, and five of seven, even though it's you know top-level competition, uh, but very tough skid for him. Jocko's looking pretty promising as he's just now entering his prime, and he's facing stiffer competition. Uh, Serkinov obviously drops out of the rankings while Jocko is right outside the top 15. Um, but yeah, I don't know how I feel about this decision. I'm not too sure where, where, where Serkinov is going to go from here. I know this isn't a guy that sells a lot, which in the UFC matters. Uh, so his, his career is definitely going to be questionable, even though he's still somewhat young, he's fucking yoked. Uh, but yeah, tough loss. Don't know if I agree again, didn't watch enough to really give my, my opinion. Uh, Nico Price, unanimous decision over Alex Oliveira. Nico took this fight with volume. He landed 108 total and 64 significant strikes, while Alex had 83 total and 65 of those significant. Both fighters got a takedown. But I talked about being this fight being a must-win for these guys, and Nico had not won in two years, and now Alex is on a, a, a three-fight losing streak. So I could see Nico fighting Shavgat uh, Rachmanov or Miguel Beiza. While Alex could maybe fight Diego Lima, another veteran that's kind of on the downslope that those two could face up. And then the most, uh, I can't say this is the most depressing because the main event was, but another depressing outcome, Kevin Holland with the no contest versus Kyle Dacus. The fight 
um, yeah, I mean, the fight explained how this card was, really. It was a close fight. Obviously, it was pretty early. Holland looked to be getting some momentum before the clash of heads that knocked Holland unconscious, why they called the fight. You know, Kyle was definitely in the lead. Don't take that away from him. As he was getting some submission attempts off. Like Holland said, you knocked me out. You choked me out. Like, it is what it is. You know, at the time, until today it was announced, Holland was requesting a quick turnaround rematch. I completely don't blame him. You know, you, you lose some purses, money there. You put all that hard work in. There's no outcome. And you can't really blame anyone for this one. Um, Kevin is claiming Kyle wants time off. Um, he didn't agree with that. But they did come to an agreement today. Uh, they have the rematch booked for November 13th, so a month out. So I'm, I'm glad that was able to happen. Because when I was writing this last night, that wasn't the case. And a crazy little fun story. Again, credit MMA Hour and Ariel Hawani. Um, freaking Kevin Holland goes into his neighborhood. They find a car thief. He like he, he freaking takes him down, chokes him out for the cops to come down. Um, good Samaritan Award, Mr. Kevin Holland. He is big mouth, but you got to love the guy. Stat-wise, Holland had 24 total strikes, and three of those were significant to Kyle's 19 total and nine significant. And he had three submission attempts. Like I said, expected the rematch. It got booked. Thank God it did. And then the main event, Tiago Santos with the unanimous decision over Johnny Walker. <sighs> this fight was just boring and very underwhelming. The landed amount of strikes showcases that. As Santos only had 44 total and 44 significant. Walker had 48 total and significant. Johnny didn't look very hungry to me to move up for a guy that's ranked number five. He wasn't aggressive at all, which was a big surprise, especially, you know, how he came out in the weigh-ins, all big chest, puffy and shit. And Santos didn't look like he was a contender anymore to me. Um, I believe that both fighters would show, like, back-against-the-wall aggressiveness, like career-pivoting aggressiveness, and I was completely off, like, completely off. Um, neither fighter's ranking changes, as they say, five and ten, respectively. Santos did call out Jerry. Obviously, he wasn't very intrigued. He said on Twitter, yeah, screw that. So I could see him fighting another veteran in Anthony Smith, who they haven't fought before. Um, they, they could both turn things around pretty quickly after these outcomes. And Walker could fight potentially Dominic Reyes, who's come off some losses, or Paul Craig, which could be a lot of fun. But boy, was this a fucking dud. Holy shit. So this week, we do have another fight night card. Like I said last week, this is an even earlier main event start. It's a 1 p.m. 1 p.m. Pacific main card start. And let's talk about three fights. It's not a very deep card. Three fights that I think are intriguing. We got Phil the Megatron Haas, the 32-year-old fighter. He's 11-2, taking on Darren Wynn, also 32, with a 6-2 record. You know, Haas is coming in this thing hot as shit. He's on a seven-fight winning streak since he lost to Julian Marquez in his first Dana White Contender Series appearance. After that, he got three wins and two separate promotions. And then he won his second uh, Contender Series opportunity to get the title or to get his contract. And uh, he's won three in the UFC since then. He has a wrestling background. He was a junior college champion at Iowa Central Community College. He ended up transferring to Iowa State. He's a brown belt in BJJ. Seven of his 11 wins are via knockout. And he has a massive seven and a half reach advantage in this fight. Win himself has a one-fight winning streak. He was also a JUCO uh, champion at St. Louis Community College. He trains out of the American Kickboxing Academy. Four of his seven wins are via knockout, but he really hasn't faced the competition Haas has. I have a feeling both fighters are going to want to outdo each other with striking as wrestlers, 
with that seven and a half inch reach advantage and just more of the the flair that Haas has. I have to go with Haas. I like Phil in both areas a little bit more. So I'm going to take him. With the lack of fights, I don't know if I'll do a parlay. If I can find enough for a parlay, mark that shit down. We're going to start getting a win streak here. Let's get that bread. And then we have a fun featherweight fight. We have Tim Elliott, 34-year-old fighter with an 18-11-1 record and the number nine next to his name versus Matthias Nicolau. He's 28 with a 16-3-1 record and the number 11 next to his name. Now, Elliott's on a two-fight win streak. He has a blue belt in BJJ and a background in wrestling. He wrestled at Labette Community College. And he's a true flyweight vet. He was gone from the UFC to Titan UFC or Titan FC back into the Ultimate Fighter and then back into the UFC. Um, he's, he's done bantamweight, done featherweight. Nicolau's fought both weights as well. He's a black belt in BJJ out of Jackson's MMA. He has come from the Ultimate Fighter as well. Uh, to the UFC, and he's won three in a row between the bantamweight and flyweight divisions. This is going to be a great fight, but I like the experience that Elliot has and brings to the table, and I feel like his last couple fights, he looked like the best version of himself. I expect Nicolau to look to get Elliot down, but I don't expect a finish in the flyweight division. You don't see a lot of those, and these guys aren't known for that. But the winner here is really going to be in a good position in this flyweight division. I think I said featherweight at the start, so I apologize. Uh, but I'm going to go with Tim Elliott. Put him in the parlay. Mark that shit down. Let's get this bread. And then the main event. The fight that I had called for after Mackenzie Dern's last win. Mackenzie Dern, she's wifey in the UFC. Uh, she's 28-11-1 record with the number four next to her name. She's taking on Marina Rodriguez, 34-year-old fighter with a very impressive 14-1-2 record and the number six next to her name. Dern is on a four-fight win streak. Six of her 14 wins are via knockout, even though jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is her, her core. And she's really improved with her striking, especially on this, this winning streak. She's a black belt in BJJ. She fought in Invicta before the UFC, and she's really coming into her prime. Marina has won two in a row, including uh, her last win against the karate hottie Michelle Watterson, and also Amanda Ribas, which is very, very impressive. She's a purple belt in BJJ and a dark blue black tip in Muay Thai. And she's come in the UFC from the Contender Series. I hate doing this to my favorite woman, but Marina, I believe, is at a different level at this point in time. She's faced better competition, and she has more impressive wins. I think her striking is a little bit higher performance, and I think she's a little bit more well-rounded. She's more of a, we'll say, win-now mode at 34 as well, um, than McKenzie, who's 28. Against... Rebus and the Karate Hottie have also been this year. This could be a three-fight winning year for her and an amazing streak, uh, pushing her up into title contention. Mackenzie's hands, like I said, have improved, but I'm going to have to take Marina here. Uh, I think that the only way Mackenzie wins is if she could take her down and use her jits to her advantage. I don't think she wants to do that, though, and I think that costs her the fight. Uh, I'm super excited for this fight as, as the main event, and I believe this is deserving of a main event. Um... It'll be a lot better than last week's main event. I could tell you that much, uh, but I'm going to go with, sadly, uh, go with Marina Rodriguez. Put it down on the parlay. Check it up. Let's get that bread. Next Saturday, we have another fight night. This is another 4 p.m. main card start, and this will be headlined by Holly Holm. I haven't quite fully looked at the card, uh, but I know it's not that deep, but another fight night card next Saturday. We're going to talk some baseball, and we're going to respectively talk some fucking Shohei Otani. Because I'm an Angels fan, and he is the MVP, and 
he does get a lot of press, but I, I, even the press he's getting, I feel like it's not enough. So around the league, right, we had the wild card tonight. The Cardinals lost a game after winning 17 straight. They didn't continue that winning streak. If they did, to be honest, I'd probably second guess having the Dodgers win the wild card game. They do re-sign Adam Wainwright, their, their old stud, their old vet, to another year. Meanwhile, the Padres, they fire their manager. Luis Rojas is out as the Mets manager. Um, let's talk some free agents. Let me have a drink first. Lots of talking. I need to have another person to be able to bounce off, right? So I can have some water and stay hydrated. This is going to be an interesting year for, for uh, some free agents. Uh, it's very interesting as an Angels fan as we need them all. <laughs> uh, but some high-level guys. We have Carlos Correa, the shortstop, fucking stud. Another shortstop, Corey Seager, fucking stud. Javi Baez, still great, but a little little sketchy of late. Chris Bryant, the Cub, the Cub, the ex-Cub stud, who's now with the Giants. We have Freddie Freeman at 32. Kevin Gossman, this new ace from the Giants, which I would see him as high risk. Robbie Ray, what a fucking year he had. I wish he had an opportunity to pitch in the playoffs. Max Scherzer, who's pitching tomorrow. Marcus Simeon, Trevor Story, another shortstop. Uh, Nolan Arenado, if he opts out, but he said he doesn't want to. Jose Ramirez has a club option. I assume they take that, and if anything, they trade him. Nick Castellanos, who was having an MVP-like season in the NL before injury. Nelson Cruz, especially if he has a big playoff performance, I'm sure team will still want him at 41 fucking years old. Clayton Kershaw looks like he's going to potentially even have Tommy John. He's shut up for the year at 34 years old. Starling Marte, center fielder. J.D. Martinez, Carlos Rodon, Kyle Schwarber, Mike, Marcus Stroman, Thor, Noah Syndergaard, Justin Verlander. I mean, there's a, there's a shit ton of guys. Brandon Belt. The Angels have Alex Cobb. I wish he, they would resign him. Uh, Michael Conforto, Anthony DeShafani, of Seal, of Seal, Garcia, Kendall Graveman, John Gray, Angel stud closer, Raziel Iglesias. Please, please, please bring him back. Kenley Johnson, AJ Pollock, Eduardo Rodriguez, Chris Taylor, Adam Wainwright. Well, not no more Adam Wainwright. And there's more. There's Brett Anderson, Tyler Anderson, Brad Broxberger, Archie Bradley, Dylan Bundy, Matt Kana, Andrew Chafin, Alex Colom, so on and so forth. Just gives a little insight to what's available out there this year for your teams that didn't quite make it. Speaking of which, let's give some respect to the stat leaders on the season as we close it out. Let's see. Especially as a fantasy baseball guy, it's interesting. I didn't win any leagues this year. Yuli Uriel led the league with 319 average. Juan Soto, 313. Vlad Jr., 311. Michael Brantley, 311. Castellanos, 309. Tim Anderson, stud, 309. Bryce Harper, 309. Austin Riley, 303. Huge year for him. Brian Reynolds for the Pirates, 302. Hard to do that with a team like that. Freddie Freeman, Nicky Lopez, 300. Bo Bichette, 298. So not a lot of people over 300 this year. Quit changing the damn ball. Uh, Brandon Crawford, 298. Teoscar Hernandez, very impressive year. I didn't think he could keep it up. He did. Very protected lineup, but 296. Xander Bogarts, 295. Paul Goldschmidt, Osprey represent. 
294. Kyle Tucker, 294. Cedric Mullins, 291. Ty France, 291. And the mean Gene hitting machine, Gene Segura, 290. Looking at RBIs. Salvi Perez, 121. Jose Abreu, 117. T. Oscar, 116. Devers, 113. Vlad Jr., 111. My guy, Shohei Otani, 100. The top 20, 100 or above. Studs. Home runs. Vlad Guerrero, 48. Salvi, 48. Otani, 46. Simeon, 45. Tatis, 42 in an injury-riddled season. Judge, 39. Hanniger, 39. Olsen, 39. Brandon Lowe, 39. Rafael Devers, 38. Gallo, 38. Duvall, 38. Pete Alonzo, 37. Fucking Joey Votto, man. Joey Bats with the 266 average and 36 homers. Muncie, 36. Jose Ramirez, 36. Harper, 35. Juan Carlo, 35. Carl Seeger, 35. Arnando, 34. OPS. Bryce Harper, 1,044. Guerrero, 1,022. Juan Soto, 0.99. Tatis, 0.97. Shohei, 0.96. Castellanos, 0.9. Joey Votto, Kyle Tucker, um, Aaron Judge, Tyler O'Neill, Brian Reynolds, Matt Olson, CJ Cron, all over 0.9. CJ Cron, ex-Angel, earned another contract with the Rockies. It's impressive. Triples just cuz. Shohei tied with Brian Reynolds and David Peralta for eight. Fucking stud MVP, if you ask me. Uh, wins as pitchers. Julio Urias with 20. Wainwright with 17. Cole and Bueller with 16. Scherzer, 15. Gosman, Morton, Freed, Matz, Ryu, Kyle Hendricks, Chris Flexen. So that's a surprise. Wheeler with 14. Saves. Melanson, 13. Hendricks, 38. J Jansen, 38. Will Smith, 37. Josh Hader and Iglesias with 34. Edwin Diaz, 32. Jake McGee, 31. Chapman with 30. ERA. Corbin Burns, 243. Scherzer, 246. Bueller, 247. Woodruff, 256. Wheeler, 278. Gosman, 281. Robbie Ray, 284. Urias, 296. Stroman, 302. Freed, 304 for the top 10. Strikeouts, Robbie Ray, 248. Zach Wheeler, 247. Garrett Cole, 243. Scherzer, 236. Burns, 234. Kevin Gossman, 227. Dylan Cease, 226. Nola, 223. Morton, 216. Bueller, 212. Complete games. Wainwright, Herman uh, Marquez, and Wheeler with three apiece. Bravo. The studs of the season. Bravo, bravo, bravo. What else was I going to talk about? Let's see. Go over who I had in the playoffs in the preseason. So we have the playoff car, uh, bracket locked, right? The Yankees are eliminated. I picked the Yankees to win the Red Sox. I'm not even going to try to front with you guys because it's already happened just now. But uh, fuck the Yankees. You know, I'm happy they lost. Garrett Cole should have signed with the Angels, my dude. Uh, but I had the Rays versus the... Um... Damn, I really had the Angels in the playoffs. Yeah, that's a biased L for me. I had the Angels taking on the Rays in the wild card and beating the Rays to lose to the Yankees. 
I had the uh, Astros beating the White Sox, ALCS, Yankees, White Sox with the Yankees winning. On the NL, I had Padres in. That was a miss versus the Mets. That was a miss. I had the Padres taking on the Dodgers and losing. The Braves taking on St. Louis. Those are not bad. Um, And the Braves beating them, taking the Dodgers on in the NLCS. The Dodgers and the Yankees in the championship. Dodgers winning. AL MVP, Otani. Rookie of the year, Orozarena. Those two could happen. Cy Young, Shane Bieber, he got hurt. In the NL, I had Mookie Betts MVP not happening. Rookie of the year, Sixto Sanchez completely off. Jacob DeCron, Cy Young, would have happened if he didn't get hurt. Let's just take a minute, though, and enjoy this, all right? Enjoy this. Enjoy this. You know, think, fingers crossed, knock on wood, Shohei Otani stays healthy. But he is the second player in AL league history with at least 45 homers and 25 stolen bases joining Jose Canseco, who did this with the Blue Jays in 98. Canseco had 46 blasts and swiped 29 bases that year. The only other players with at least 45 homers and 25 stolen bases in the AL or NL history is Alfonso Soriano, one of my faves, 2006, Chipper Jones, another fave, 99, Larry Walker, 97, and Bonds in 93. No player ever has posted a 50-25. Shohei almost had a 50-30 in his first time starting in a non-protected lineup. Keep that in mind. Otani also reached 100 runs scored for the first time in a four-year career and became the first Angels player to do that since Mike Trout in 2019, who also won the MVP. Otani isn't going to pitch again. Obviously, he didn't pitch again. Uh, but with the 45 homers, he ranks he ranked third in, in, in baseball and also made 23 starts at the mound, going 9-2 and two with 156 strikeouts, 44 walks, and 15 homers allowed in 130 in a third innings. If you would have pitched more innings, in my opinion, you would have had a Cy Young. Kind of funny stat. Oh, my guy Fletch, nice contract, tough year for the Angels, but he currently, or he finished the season without having a barreled ball. That would be the second time in StatCast era that a qualified position player ended the season with zero barrels. Ben Revere did it in 2015. Shohei is the first player in MLB history with 45-plus homers, 25-plus doubles, 5-plus triples, 25-plus stolen bases in a single season. Don't forget, he also pitched. Rossell Iglesias, 30 saves and 100-plus strikeouts. First time, uh, or third angel in uh, angel history to do that. Please sign him back. I can't show you guys. But this is the media card that the uh, press box had for the last Angels home game of Shohei Otani's historical season and in, in, in review. All the things that he did. It's literally a full card that they had time to talk about. But we just need to enjoy this because I don't know if this will ever be done again. It took 100 years for this to be done. I feel like people sleep on it. They think it's not that big of a deal. It's a fucking huge deal. So before we talk my playoff predictions... You heard my preseason. I was pretty close. Besides the Angels, I missed completely on that one. And what else did I miss on? The Mets and Padres making the playoffs, but I did have the Cardinals, the, the Braves, and the, the Dodgers. I felt pretty good about it. I had the Rays, the Astros, the White Sox. I mean, those are all pretty predictable. But Yankees, they're eliminated. Don't matter. But they were without Luke Voigt, DJ LeMahieu, which is huge. He's on the 10-day. They also were missing Clint Flazier, Miguel Andujard, Zach Britton, Darren O'Day, Aaron Hicks. You put those guys in the lineup, that's pretty deadly. That's why I think I had them in the, the, the World Series start season. 
The Red Sox, no JD for the wild card. They got the dub. Beyond that, to be determined, they're going to need them. The Cardinals are without Jordan Hicks, Carlos Martinez, and Wade LeBlanc. Imagine them in a, a short series with those guys in their arsenal. The Dodgers are going to be without Max Muncie in the wild card. He's day-to-day and should play in the playoffs. Without Clayton Kershaw, the trade acquisition Danny Duffy that they wanted specifically for playoffs. Trevor Bauer and his off-field issues. Cole Hamels, Jimmy Nelson, Justin May, Brandon Morrow. All those people. And they're still probably the deepest team in baseball. The shit is wild. Imagine if they had all those guys, especially Dustin May, Kershaw, Trevor Bauer, like, whew, Jimmy Nelson in the bullpen. The White Sox pretty much without Brandon Goodwin. They've recovered a lot of players and are healthy. The Astros are without Pedro Baez, Rafael Montero, Forrest Whitley, Justin Verlander, who didn't get to make a, re- a season return. The Rays, without Nick Anderson, supposedly he might return, but it's still to be determined. You're going to need him. Oliver Drake, Chris Archer, Brendan McKay, Tyler Glasnell, and Yanni Chirinos. You'll hear my pre- my postseason predictions, but a reason I don't have him winning at all is because of Glasnell. You insert Glasnell, it's a different story, especially with all the youth talent they have. The Giants, without Scott Kazmir, Tony Watson, Brandon Belt, and Tyler Chatwood. Decent, but not anything to be you know super upset about the Braves without Ozuna Ronald Acuna Jr. Stephen Vogt and Mike Soroka tough losses but they had a lot of people at the trade deadline not in the pitching side and the Brewers John Axford so pretty healthy so that's set up for tonight's AL East powerhouse matchup the Yankees get smoked Juan Carlo has two potential home runs robbed by the green monster It's just funny to me that baseball and all the sports could have different stadiums and different home field advantages. It's just fucking wild. Baseball is just wild. Um, Rizzo has a home run. Stanton does have a home run. Stanton had literally put his fucking team on his back. What did judge do today? One for four. Garrett Cole chased after two innings. (laughs) Ha ha. Three earned three K's. Um, Severino comes in for the bullpen, gives up a run. Uh, Lucega gives up two runs. Chad Green pitches decent. Kyle Schwarber goes yard. Another ex-Cub. Bogarts uh, goes yard. Verdugo goes two for, two for. Avaldi one earned eight innings on five and a third. Can't complain too much about that performance. Whitlock gives one up at the end. But the Red Sox win six to two. I picked the Yankees. I took the L. I thought Garrett Cole would outperform Avaldi, and I was wrong. The wild card. We got the hot Cardinals taking on the Dodgers. I'm going to take the Dodgers. I want to root for the Cardinals, but I just don't think they could beat Max Scherzer and that deep offensive lineup that they have, especially with Trey Turner and and the guys that they have on that team now. It's just fucking stupid. That sets us up for the NLDS and the ALDS, which a lot of people I think forget is the best of three. So a lot of that has to rely on pitching. The only team that I didn't pick that probably has better pitching to start is I have the Braves upsetting the Brewers. And this is the hardest one for me to decide. Um, I feel like that the Braves, though, with their high-level pitching, uh, their offense is going to be better. I just don't believe in the consistency of the Brewers, but their top three pitchers are really deadly, some of the best in baseball. It's going to be hard to beat, especially pitchings like defense and football in the playoffs. It really matters. I had the Rays beating the Yankees. Um, obviously, they play the Red Sox. I would still pick the Rays in that situation. I have the Astros over the White Sox. This one gave me some head scratchers as well. It's going to be a great series. I have the Giants over the Dodgers, uh, or excuse me, the Dodgers over the Giants. Wanted to pick the Giants, but they're just 
they don't have that it factor that the Dodgers have, but they have that like veteran leadership, clubhouse culture, and consistency that could get it done. But there's just so many big names on the Dodgers. They buy themselves. That's why I hate baseball. I really want the Giants to win as a fan, but I couldn't pick against the Dodgers. And the Astros just have so much experience. And the White Sox have a lot of guys back, but they haven't been in in-season flow. Right? They're coming back towards the end of the season. I have the Rays beating the Astros, mostly due to pitching. I think the Astros pitching bites them in the ass. And then the Dodgers over the Braves. I think that's a little bit easier said than done. I think the Dodgers would probably clean house against the Brewers as well. The Giants is our toughest stop. And I have the Dodgers beating the Rays. Um, the Rays are so young, which is great, but that experience is going to pay dividends for the Dodgers. And sadly, the Dodgers are again the MLB champions. Hopefully I'm wrong, but those are my predictions. What do you think? Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter like, Shane, you're fucking crazy. I like this. Cool. Let me know. Outside of baseball, what a fucking show we've had. Um, Bubba Wallace wins the Yellowwood 500 to be the first black driver to win NASCAR Cup since 1963. <laughs> Bubba. Props, props. NBC pre... Or NBC. The NBA preseason has started. The NBA season is right around the corner. In the NBA world, Pau Gasol retired from basketball. He did play in the Olympics this past year for Spain. What a legendary career for Mr. Pau Gasol. Kyrie Irving in the Nets at a crossroad as he isn't vaccinated. He might have to skip out on home games. I know that he's stubborn headed here. You know, Kyrie, I didn't want to get vaccinated either. Sometimes we're just a fucking, you know, victim of the circumstances. It is what it is. I'm not going to make this a political bullshit rant. You know, this is why you guys tune into Business of Buckets. That's why I am doing it because I, as a fan, don't give a shit about politics. This is the headline story to me. Is it annoying? Yeah. Is it going to play... Uh, 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 you know, if you're a Nets fan, play factor. Absolutely. Is it going to change my, my season predictions? Absolutely. I think he ends up getting vaccinated. There's too much for him to give up unless he wants to, you know, try to combat this, solve world peace, all those types of things. Bryson DeChambeau versus Brooks Kepka, 20, November 26th, booked up for the Capital Ones, the match for all you golf nerds. Everyone's going to be pumped. That'll be on TNT. I'm not as much of a golf nerd. I like playing it. I'm not quite a, as much of a watcher. And then my non-story story to close episode 49. We're almost at half a hundred. We going out here. We grinding. But Dave Chappelle's new Netflix special that came out today, The Closer, had gave me fucking goosebumps. And afterwards, I was just sitting here clapping after I had watched it. Powerful message. And my, my tweet, I had said that it sucks that... Uh, Famous, iconic, you know, celebrity has to be the ones that say these things to be able to get this across the table. It's not our country's leaders, but he talked about how our, you know, we're divided. There's the LGBTQ, there's the cancel culture, and we need to come together and we need to work together. And he has an amazing story is a great comedy special. He said, this is going to be the last one for a long time. Super bummed. But if you, you have an hour of your time, you won't regret it. And the, 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 a lot of the messages tie up at the end, obviously, but fucking great. Tune in, check it out. And if you haven't already like, and subscribe, right? Everywhere you're streaming, everywhere you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, share the word. If you're on YouTube, like subscribe, it's free, right? You click a button, you help me out. Anyone's shit that I watch, I subscribe. If you don't want my notifications, turn them off, but it helps the people, right? There's financial backing and potential for this. But it, I really appreciate it. And if you don't like me, you don't want to like and subscribe, that's fine too. Let me know how I can get better. But that's it. We will see you guys next week. 
and shout out Field Supplements for keeping us going.